Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. A roast as dark as the night. Perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of spring Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast on the left, babe. <laughs> Go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have sativa, we have indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful. Super tasty live resin. You really get the delicious weedy taste, which is what I like. And yes. three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape, put it in your brain and have a good time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Last podcast on the left. It's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast on the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Recording. Ah, recording. Very good. That means this is going to go out to everyone, right? Yeah. Everyone's going to hear this. I mean, everyone who's anyone. At some point. Anybody who's in the know, who wants to be in on the scene, is listening to this episode. Oh, absolutely. What is a pretty cool scene? The pizza is done. <laughs> I meant nothing. Don't worry about it, man. I mean, honestly, for you're talking to Marcus, and I couldn't, it could just be code for the pizza's done. The pizza is done. What's the code? What is the code for? Nothing. But, but Let's we don't... just say there's a new tier on our Patreon that will be coming up. Um, $10,000. You willingly volunteer to be a part of Henry Zabrowski's new behavior modification and training program, How to Be a Comedy Assassin. Oh, wow. And I will teach you how to have, uh, drop those scruples. No more scruples. Get rid Nuh-uh. of your scruples. No more scruples. Absolutely. Right? If you're Spanish. Sure. And then we're going to get you in there. We might do a little bit of, we'll do some dabbling under the hood. Under <laughs> the hood. That's, that's for the hood on the top of your eyebrows. <laughs> sure. But the pizza 
is done. All right. Welcome yeah. to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben, hanging out with Marcus and the hyper-cryptic or hungry Henry Zabrowski. I don't quite know. The raspberries are back in season. He's bleeding the from his asshole. The raspberries are <laughs> Marcus is bleeding from his asshole once again. That's great to know. That or is his coat. Lady that is his coat. <laughs> Darling, the raspberries are back, back in, season in season again. I got to go back to the gastroenterologist. Oh, I guess it's time for me to be the berry farmer again. Oh, man. Why, why uh, does he cry every time he talks about being a berry farmer? I thought it was kind of fun. Some people go out there on the weekends to do it with their children. No, not not his wife. No. Not Carolina. No. Uh, no, she is forced into that. She is drafted. I force no one. <laughs> but uh, it's Mewich. This this <laughs> series uh, again, you know, I've been joking about being set back and all you this kind of shit. You've been joking about it. You've been act you've just said the sentence uh, over and over again. But to be, I don't think at any point it's inferred that you were joking. But to be completely fair, I literally put up walls to a lot of conspiracy theory mm. thought over the years because especially the last 6 years it's been extra stupid and an extra waste mm. of time. And nowadays though, like because when we went through JFK oh, series, man. the JFK series <laughs> Everything had been largely debunked. Everything yeah. had already been worked over for years and years and years. And then the thing about this series, back into MK Ultra, is that, you know, this is all the stuff that is like real. This is all the stuff that truly is very real. And there's all this documentation, all these witnesses, all this kind of shit. And, you know, it you slowly, in my mind, it's like a poaching an egg, but it's my brain. It's like my brain is being lowered slowly mm. in the vinegar-filled, slightly simmering boiling water of conspiracy theory That's thought. The government's again. war on drugs commercial. Yes, but they're doing it to me. <laughs> and I'm now I'm I'm hard boiled. All right, yeah, like I, I got crusted over because it's the shit, man. It's like there was a van outside my fucking house that I Ugh. stared at for 15 minutes. <laughs> it's like the shit where like uh, someone's been because it happens in waves where someone tries to get into my social media accounts or like my various things where someone you could see like a ping where a bunch of people like tried to like break their way into my accounts and you like see all this kind of shit happening at the same time. I'm having all these emails come in from people saying they were like and they were experimented on by the government. I've done this to myself. I'm like yeah. back into this like a conspiracy goggle world. Yes, well, there's always medication. I'm all right, everyone. <laughs> yeah, on. man, you're like you're this close to attracting another guy. Like, remember the Chase Bank manager that told you all about the reptilians? You're this close to finding another Richard one of those. Bunch. <laughs> Richard Bunch, Richard Bunch, out there in Chase Bank in Manhattan. Make sure you do all your banking uh, and get all your banking <laughs> needs accomplished with Richard Bunch. All right, everyone. We are on to part three of MKUltra. Now, by the time the CIA decided to up the ante on their mind control program, psychiatrists outside of the CIA had surmised years before that you cannot program a person to do something that they are deeply and morally opposed to doing. Furthermore, Sidney Gottlieb, head of the MKUltra program, was aware of this research by the time he escalated his mind control programming experiments from Project Artichoke levels to the debacle that was MKUltra. The octopus of malice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like people have changed. You know, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump called his wife like a fat bitch. And he, and loved he, it. Just like, <laughs> he rolled around in it. That man. Oh. So I feel like people maybe now are easier to flip because they're such, I don't know. My I don't people know. are hungry yeah. monsters. People have been subjected to years of propaganda that has also been blasted into hyperspeed by the by our the rectangles that are in our pockets. The research that I did for this episode about hypnotism shows that these motherfuckers have known 
known since the 1940s. Like they had this like funny little idea. George Estabrooks, who we'll cover, he had this like great little sentence in his book Hypnotism by George Estabrooks, where he's mm. like, "The radio will one day be a fascinating tool for mass hypnotism." And we realize like <laughs> they have been thinking I mean, about this. It was mostly this anal in, ring toss. Sure, but this is this has been in the and they've been thinking about this. For a while, say now. that stuff all the they time. They have been, but I think well, concerning Ted Cruz and you know that that whole sort, you know that sort of like turning all that. Like Ted Cruz has always been a shivering turd of a human being. He's yeah. always been out for power. Spineless. So the whole point is, is that like he was able to be turned, but that's because his only motivation is power. So he's willing to do anything for it. And the thing about these hypnosis programs, it's in his nature, in other and, words. And it's CIA also as well is that they are looking for people like they they are. This is where Marcus and I had our discussion, which is interesting. It's the then the goal is all right, you can't turn someone where all of these actions are completely against their will. Sure. But why don't we find people where it's not necessarily just against their will? And then we create a situation where they have a way to validate what they do and get out of it later on. I think that's called dating. <laughs> well, that's interesting. And this is, brings me up to another a great point here. Small jackets for cold turds. I've seen a lot of cold turds out there. And I think it's important we yeah, give again, them small turd jackets. If they're cold. If you're, <laughs> if you're cold, they're cold. Bring them inside. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's, that's right. I've already recycled this job. That's right. But as we said last episode, Gottlieb felt that he had been hired to explore, not to give up. Oh. And as it happened so often, it was the exploration that turned out to be the nasty business. Mm. Incredibly, though, or perhaps predictably, considering the amount of Cold War paranoia at the time, this all occurred with very little internal pushback, with the exception of one fatal objection <gasps> that we'll discuss near the end of this episode. Okay. Now, as opposed to projects Bluebird and Artichoke, which mostly used foreign nationals or government employees as subjects in their experiments, MKUltra expanded the scope to include American citizens. Why leave us out? Yes, yes, <laughs> I'm so happy to be part of this wonderful program. Specifically, they wanted to experiment on urban populations and prisoners. And since they certainly weren't going to conduct these experiments in Levittown, they needed a proxy who could find a new kind of expendable. Someone who could move in the more salacious circles of society without giving off a CIA vibe. Now, I just wonder why I can't put my finger on the mistrust of the U.S. government. I don't know. <laughs> what could it be? What could it be? Is it Mel Gibson? Because he knows what women want. And if he knows what women want, he can control huh? a lot of other people women, as well. He makes, on average, 100,000 women orgasm a day. I Mel Gibson. <laughs> women love him. I don't know of as much anymore, but it's certain oh, no. they don't care. They don't, they're not, they don't care about anything. They just watch him in Braveheart and come and come. Oh, no. I think that more women go for Kevin Costner, the man who cannot act yet still gets work. You're just speaking wow. for your mother. Wow. <laughs> yes, exactly. My mother and my wife. Oh, my Whoa. God. Oh, yeah, Watch right. Dances with Wolves once. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> and that, my friends, is where a former OSS man named George Hunter White comes into the picture. This guy's a straight a bastard. Okay, cool. <laughs> bastard has entered the picture. 
George Hunter White was a narcotics detective, described by author Stephen Kinzer as a vastly obese slab of a man who looked like an extremely menacing bowling ball. Nothing wrong with that. Now, the thing is, you have to say vastly obese. Now, is it obese? It really comes down to it. Obese really covers it. There's an obese really covers Vastly obese. That's just getting rude. He's a cop. He's a cop. Okay. Now, White was your classic dirty cop, simultaneously busting drug traffickers while also using the drugs that he confiscated. How would you know what it is if you're not using it? You see all those. I always love that in cop shows when they see the white powder and then they stick two fingers in it and rub it in their mouth. Yeah, that's pure cocaine. Uh, unfortunately, that was 100% fentanyl. <laughs> White was also a hard drinker, known to put down a full bottle of gin every night at dinner. That's just dinner. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is imp- a full bottle just at the... How long is dinner for a bloviating big uh, drug-busting bastard, though? It could be an hour and a half affair. It could be. But, but it's, it could an be. Hour it's still a lot, I'm just it's saying. It's a lot in an hour and a half. I'm just saying he's not having a McDonald's five-minute meal. I know. True. And continuing the theme of moral crusaders with sexual secrets like J. Edgar Hoover, mm. White was also heavily into sadomasochism, although his appetites were harsher than the fine S&M enthusiasts we have listening right now. Oh. Really, about the only thing that was sweet about George Hunter White was his devotion to his pet canary. Mm. <laughs> when his bird died, Hunter journaled, quote, Poor little bastard just couldn't make it. I don't know if I'll ever get another bird or pet. It's tough on everyone when they die. Oh, you're going to have here. You know what? Because you lost your pet canary or maybe you're thinking about it. Here's a free steak. <laughs> All right, that's fine. But I'm just going to go kill a hooker. Honestly, that's the only oh, thing that makes me feel no, bad. eat the steak. Also, isn't it ironic the cop has the most snitch of all animals, the canary? Oh, interesting. Mm, interesting. Yes, indeed. Now, before White was involved with MKUltra or even the OSS, he had gained national notoriety before World War II for busting a Chinese-American opium ring in Seattle called the Hip Sing Tong, whom he'd infiltrated by agreeing to death by fire if he betrayed any of their secrets. Cool. <laughs> what does that mean? They set you on fire? <laughs> oh, yeah, dang. set you on fire, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, roast me up. That's kind of all, you know, that seems kind of fun. You know, honestly, you're not going to like the smell. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Pork rinds. But once World War II began, George White joined the OSS and was sent to a secret paramilitary base in Ontario called, no shit, Camp X. Yeah, man. Which this shit George... comes from somewhere. <laughs> Everything in pop culture comes from somewhere. <laughs> it is the dumbest. We'll call it Camp X. Seriously, but yeah, this is when it was yeah. scary and not corny. Yeah. Yeah. And George described Camp X as a school of murder and mayhem. Well, during the OSS days, they were very proud of their spy and assassin training schools. That was a part mm-hmm. of the thing that Wild Bill was obsessed with. Like, because they, they treated everything like fucking kids. At summer camp, they were like, yeah, we get to put our murder school together. Yes, yes. Which I do (laughs) in a way. Doesn't sound fun. I would love to be the dean of a murder school. Like, I feel like I could really be like, you get it, B. You're not good enough at it. You know, like, it would be really fun to do. But they they really like this. But again, the Project Artichoke story of this, the part of that is was much more containable because it was they thought that they could just have everybody do it in one building. But now we're seeing what contractors can bring to the uh, mm-hmm. table. 
Well, after training, George White became a teacher himself at Camp oh. X and instructed such future CIA leaders as Frank Wisner, James Jesus Angleton, and the <laughs> aforementioned future head of the CIA, Richard Helms. He does know that Professor X didn't find himself in a wheelchair because of diabetes, But this right? is back in the day. <laughs> okay. This is before Professor oh, X. Oh, this is before <laughs> Professor X. I think oh, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, no, this is definitely, yeah, Professor X didn't come about till 62, I believe, okay. maybe 63. All right. Well, additionally, White was also involved in the OSS's first experiments to produce a truth serum using marijuana. We brought him up in the, I believe, the second episode. He's the guy who talked to that gangster dude and gave him the 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 weed tincture that made everybody else throw up. And he went and <laughs> spilled the beans in his entire drug operation to George mm -hmm. White. Dang. Well, after World War II, White became a narcotics detective again, this time in New York City, where he led the Narcotics Bureau's campaign against jazz music. No! <laughs> they were like, it's boring, it has no point, it has no point. <laughs> uh, they don't even play the song, they only play tracks of it. I like a little bit of jazz because you can stay at the bar for three hours and feel like you were there for three minutes because the song never changes. Yeah, you've been here, I've only been here for one song. That's it. I mean, this is actually some serious shit. White yeah. spied on and entrapped musicians like Billie Holiday, oh who was God. framed by George White after she started singing the anti-lynching protest song, Strange Fruit. This is like the beginnings of like COINTELPRO type Whoa. of shit. It's really weird to really kind of roll back and just see this shit has just been a part of what they do now. Like, you know, the, the CIA just came, they just revealed that whole like echelon thing that they have been spying on us again. And it's like, oh, yeah. nothing. It's like, I don't know what's going to change. Spying on us now more than ever before. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually, White continued his path in participating in the worst campaigns of the 20th century by going to work for Senator Joe McCarthy in 1950. And White took part in the anti-communist witch hunts investigating the State Department. After that, White moved to investigating organized crime, where he leaked information that President Truman and New York Governor Thomas Dewey had mob connections. Now, Truman did kind of have some mob connections from back in his early days in politics, some like Kansas City mob shit. But Dewey was the guy who'd convicted the most famous gangster in New York City history, Lucky Luciano. He Whoa. had no mob connections. No. So this is the type of shit that then he did all this irresponsible stuff, and then the CIA was like... Great. You're our, you're our guy. <laughs> Number one yeah. guy. Yeah, for these reckless claims, George Hunter White was fired. And just when George White had nothing to do, he got a call from Sidney Gottlieb, who was looking for a man on the street to procure subjects for civilian MK Ultra experiments. Because the goal is to open wide operations, right? Because in an operational theater, the people you would use these things on would not know that they were going to be receiving these drugs and these various shit. They would be getting them by surprise. So in order for them to see how it works, we, I mean, it's, it makes sense. Dog. <laughs> it just, it, it just uh, look at the, the facts. Yeah. Look at the facts. And who doesn't want to follow what a fat man says in New York City? <laughs> I mean, as long as it's talking about pizza. Absolutely. Well, Gottlieb wanted to see how ordinary people reacted to LSD, so he opened a safe house at 81 Bedford Street in Greenwich Village and directed White to find new expendables. So this is basically lays the groundwork for the hippies that we came to know and love. Dude, this is what we've been saying, man. He rips open the psychic veil of the entire country <laughs> accidentally. All right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, he was out there to find drug addicts, petty criminals, and other people that nobody of consequence would miss. Hmm. For this purpose, the program bought two apartments. They'd lure the subjects to one apartment and drug them, while on the hmm. other, MK Ultra scientists would monitor and record the results, listening on <laughs> surveillance equipment and watching through a one-way mirror. Oh, my God. The first ever live podcast. Yeah. <laughs> To attract their victims, George White developed a persona, sometimes posing as a merchant seaman and sometimes as a bohemian artist. But always... <laughs> I love to see him with a fucking scarf and a hat on. <laughs> yeah, I'm working uh, paint. Yeah. You should come over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want drugs? You want to get your dick sucked? Come on, I'm an artist. I'm bohemian. (laughs) (laughs) very bohemian. But he always used the alias Morgan Hall. Hey, because Greenwich Village, like, it's not quite the folk scene that's starting to call it. The folk scene, like, there there are some rumblings of it. You've got the beat writers that are hanging out. It is Greenwich Village is starting to become a counterculture center, but it is definitely where you want to pick up some. People that would eventually become known as hippies, drug addicts. And since White had already built a social circle of drug addicts, sex workers, gamblers, and pornographers during his time in Vice, he could provide an almost endless supply of subjects to MK Ultra scientists. He just flipped his covert intelligence people, all the people that he used as like info sources when he was working for the narcotics bureau. He just, yeah, he just flipped them over. And he's like, all right, now we're all in the CIA. Yeah. I know. New office, huh? <laughs> New header, that's it. It's the same shit. He obviously has a skill set. Yep, he, he does. does. Now, the CIA's time at Bedford Street was later described by a retired officer as, quote, wild and woolly. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and that wouldn't even compare to what would come later with Operation Midnight Climax, which we'll cover next episode. Yes. <laughs> I would love to see all the all the back hair stuck to the lube on all the random tarps. Oh, yeah, oh. man. That's wild where you get the information from. <laughs> Men with back hair need love. And that's the thing. They're out there pining for love and then they get, they get flipped. By, they, get, they get turned. I know. Well, you have hinted that you are seeing CIA for quite a while now. Hey, man, I, I'm no fucking... Who knows? I just who talked to knows? a guy with a hat in the park. Who knows? From what that same officer said, those experiments at the Bedford safe house were so out of control because they were still operating under an OSS mentality, meaning that it didn't matter if what you were doing was a good or a bad idea. You didn't question it. You just did it because anything can be justified during a war. The common thread is, <sighs> we don't even know what this experiment's going to show us. We're going to do right. a bunch of shit and then see what comes out of the end of the tube and then see if that's collectible and see if anybody is, if it's worth it. But if not, well, you know, you just leave a, leave a bunch of shattered people in its wake. They had a vague goal. Yeah, it was a but it was still a somewhat vague goal, uh, and they didn't have anywhere near but any sort of idea how they were going to reach that goal. You know, I wonder if they did help someone though. If there was like one moment where it's like, who uh, who did you just release from here? What was his name? Len- Lenny Bruce? Dude, no, Lenny uh, Bruce. Actually, yes. No, it's it's all of them. It's Ken Kesey. How it, many it's people so that many. we love or that are historic got drugged off of the, who got drugged off the government beat movement, The entire beat movement was Not a the part entire, of but a lot of them. I would say yeah. at least five. Five major counter- CIA drugs. Five yeah. major counterculture figures had their minds open, at least by CIA experimentation well, with LSD. You would not have gotten you- acid in the 1950s if it was not from the CIA. Doesn't that yeah. show you that sometimes it's difficult 
difficult to be a parent because yeah, you gave, you gave, and you gave, and all of a sudden they turn into someone who hates you. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what being a parent is. You just eventually, you just raise an enemy. Well, as- <laughs> you know, to some degree. Well, as far as the CIA was concerned, the Cold War was ready to turn hot at any moment. While MK Ultra scientists were drugging people in the village, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were being executed for stealing nuclear secrets for the Soviets. At around the same time, and this is all how it's kind of laid out uh, by Stephen Kinzer in Poisoner in Chief, at around the same time, leftist governments were taking off in South America, the Prime Minister of Iran had nationalized all reserves, and rebels in Vietnam, some communists, some not, were well on their way to casting off the shackles of French colonialism. Now, of course, everything but the Rosenbergs have been pure paranoia. There was no good reason for us to meddle in South America or Iran. And while we should have seen the defeat of the French at the hands of the Vietnamese as the end of colonialism in Southeast Asia, we only saw it and everything else in Cold War terms. No, everything is their own person. Marcus. This was like the Mount Everest for the CIA. They were like, why would you go down there and meddle in South America? Because it was there. Yeah. Because it was there. Absolutely. You say there was no good reason, but there was reason. Yeah. There was so reason. So it doesn't that matter? But it's not. Yeah, exactly. Come on. Again, like no. last episode. Like, How do you think it made us flipping these governments in South America? How do you think it made us feel? Yeah, absolutely. And in no way has that began a uh, trend that is now... Uh, constantly being seen. Oh, our misreadings of all these situations still have major consequences that affect our lives in both small and large ways to this day, from the border crisis to Mm -hmm. the destabilization of the Middle East. Not to mention, you know, Vietnam. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. It's a conflict. Stop calling it a war, right? It's a conflict. You remember that when when we changed our rider and I was like, I would love a meat and cheese tray back, that conflict? Conflict. That's like the V, that was with Vietnam. Yes, that's all it was. Mm Mm-hmm. But from the viewpoint of CIA director Alan Dulles and many directors after him, all of it was justified. And while we now know that MKUltra was a fool's errand, Dulles believed that it was just as important as anything else the CIA was doing. Hmm. Well, as it was, Dulles' insistence that mind control was real and in possession of the communists, that kept getting validated. Or, at least, it was validated from Dulles' point of view. Sure, In July of 1952, when the armistice that ended the Korean War came about, over 7,000 American soldiers were released from communist prisons in North Korea. But to the American public's astonishment, almost 70% of those prisoners came back criticizing the United States Mm. and praising communism. How fucking dare they meet a woman (laughs) with baby bangs on Tumblr? (laughs) Perhaps a little Stockholm Syndrome. How dare they? Some prisoners even refused to leave. They settled in China or Korea, and that prompted the Pentagon to announce that any soldier who stayed behind would be labeled as a deserter and executed as if they were ever found. Oh, Oh, yes. Oh, my God. And, of course, that's what they call me after I have dinner. I have dessert. The deserter. The deserter. Thank Kissel. The deserter, yeah. Really good. Nice. <laughs> I would have stayed in South Korea, man. I heard South Korea is awesome. Yeah, it yeah. is supposed to be nice. Well, hopefully yeah. we'll do a live show there. Oh, that'd be awesome. Love to. Well, furthermore, several pilots who came back confirmed that they had been directed to drop biological weapons on the enemy, which hmm. they most likely had. Although no the way, evidence. What? No, it's not I mean, like, we. No, Marcus, I watched several like old newsreels on this. We mm-hmm. only had biological weapon facilities in order to defend ourselves against their yeah. weapons. 
How it makes dare all the you? sense in the world. <laughs> yeah, we were never doing it. And it's not like you? everybody's yeah. doing it in any way, shape, or form, trying to figure out a way to make everybody sick from far away. No. I mean, of course, when you have government contracts with large pharmaceutical companies, they don't want money. They don't, they don't want, want to the money. No. They don't even give well, no. the money. They I mean, give this it to children. Have, <laughs> no, this doesn't have anything to do with that. This is, I mean, we did most likely drop anthrax bombs on the North Koreans, not to make money, but to just fucking kill them. My uncle oh. was saturated with Agent Orange during Vietnam. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It changed his whole life and it ruined it. I mean, this whole, my, all of the kids, all his oh, kids had developmental well, they disabilities. Are wonderful. Yes, yeah. but I'm saying, like, it, it did not bode well. Yes. Yes. No one got better. But the evidence of biological weapons uh, use in Korea is still to this day circumstantial. People still argue about this shit. Yeah. Now, the American media waved off these reports of defectors by saying that the men who'd stayed behind in those communist states had poor upbringings, emotional <laughs> problems, Asian lovers, Ooh. or homosexual tendencies. The hey, media. some of us have all of the above and we love <laughs> And that's uh, fine. And that's fine. But Welcome. You know what's interesting, though, is that I found a debriefing that was given by the Department of the Army in 1956. So this is, they said, in this thing, which it was about communist interrogation, indoctrination, and exploitation of prisoners of war. And in this, they even debunk the idea of brainwashing. Yeah. They say in this novel, in this report, they were like, the, the, the term brainwashing came out, and they are immediately saying, like, they, they have rudimentary brainwashing. Mostly what they do is make you physically tired, you know, restrict your, and then it's cl it's classic good cop, bad cop, where they yeah. give you propaganda and then they set you up. They'll do a thing where like, you could live a life like this, where you like show this like peaceful right. pastoral, because it's, it's beautiful. I'm sure you go to these like beautiful places in Korea and be like, do you want to go back to Cleveland or do you want to be here amongst these hills? Like they do these things where they convince well, you to flip. Nice. But Cleveland's also, great. I love Cleveland. I mean, they beat you within an inch of your life but eventually yeah. like you do get the stockholm syndrome thing that they are slowly building up but it's not what we think, think it is that they're doing but they knew no. this in 1956 the term brainwash could be replaced with brain fucked you brain, just kind of get yeah. brain fucked and yes. you're like all right i don't know yeah i mean that's the funny thing about this is that like it's it, it's so fucking childish where these guys are, you know they have thoughts that are different from the american public and the best they can come up with is Probably because you're fucking gay. Because you're fucking gay, you fucking yeah. piece of shit. You're so fucking gay. Yeah, but me with my 10-inch cock and this beautiful woman that I'm married to. Exactly. Yeah, the most like, delicious street food in the world. That's good. Gay. Super fucking gay. Yeah, some members of the media even said, and tell me if this sounds familiar to any generation listening, that the defectors were a sign of, quote, the weakening American masculinity and its replacement by a generation of pampered kids and mama's boys. Mama's oh, boys. God. <laughs> hey, well, every morning I wake up and I slap my mother, I call her a bitch. I call her, <laughs> I call her every <laughs> Fuck the postman to show him just to dominate him. It's not, it's not I'm fuck the postman in this house. Yeah. I'm not gay with my... With my love of men. Shut up! Uh, shut up! Yeah, I'm not no pansy boy. There's no such thing as gay in the foxhole. <laughs> <laughs> but to the CIA, the fact that even a few men decided to forsake the democratic paradise that was America for the communist hellscapes of North Korea and China was a sign that communist mind control was a definite reality. There was, however, further information that the CIA didn't make public. Some prisoners who returned from North Korea or the Soviet Union apparently had a blank period of disorientation that occurred only when they passed through a zone 
in Manchuria. Manchuria this, candidate. This to the CIA was a sign that at least mind meddling had been achieved. Mm. And the word Manchuria, or as it came to be known, Manchurian, got introduced into the mind control lexicon. I think it's more Ooh. like mind muddling. Yeah, that's what I said. Like you turn your brain into it. You turn your brain to like a, a like a, a mimosa, a, like a mimosa. You're a muddling mimosa. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, what's it called? No, no, no mimosa. Uh, a, a, a mojito. A mojito. A mojito. Oh, yeah. mojito. It's a oh mojito that the, you then know, you're not gay anymore. You're an assassin. That me, that's a horrible memory I have with the mojito summer when I faked all those bartending jobs by telling everyone I knew how to bartend, yes. Yes. and then I constantly broke glasses when I was trying to muddle <laughs> them, and then everyone made fun of me, and then they made me a bouncer. Yeah, that's probably best. See, I you break white glasses I broke with your own so hands. many glasses. Watch a huge man break glasses while he's trying to make cocktails. Yeah, he becomes the bouncer. Yeah, I know. I just wasn't prepared for mojito summer. It's not a Wisconsin <laughs> beverage. So extrapolating from these observations about Korean War POWs, the CIA claimed that communists were using drugs, physical duress, electric shock, and possibly hypnosis against their enemies. In reality, the CIA was assuming this because that's what they were doing. Right. And yeah. since the CIA considered themselves the ultimate good, they assumed that the communists, whom they considered to be the ultimate evil, had to be doing something far worse. Okay. Did no one ever say at one point being like, hey guys, though, the thing is, is that if we keep doing like worse and worse shit and we think they're doing worse and worse shit, like, aren't we just making them worse by us doing our shit? I think that's why it's the Cold War. Oh, wow. <laughs> great. And then they're like, yes, yes, yes. Let's just yes. keep on so doing this forever. Yes. Escalation. This is going to yeah. be perfect. Yeah, there's a reason why this war almost ended the entire world. Jeez. Yeah, multiple times. Now, MKUltra was different from Project Artichoke in that it was not a single undertaking trying to answer all of the questions concerning mind control that Alan Dulles had tasked Gottlieb with answering. He just thought one building of dudes could do it. And originally, yeah. they're like, we'll just have one group of guys putting this all together. But while Gottlieb was certainly a sociopath of a kind, he was also a genius. He realized that if he was going to answer Dulles's questions, he needed dozens of teams to answer those questions one at a time. The octopus! Oh! oh bro, I'm pretty stoned right now, dude. That octopus is a guitar, man. Oh, God. <laughs> well, additionally, this worked well in keeping MKUltra a secret, because if you've got a lot of scientists working on pieces of the question here and there, then nobody knows the full picture except the men up top. Therefore, the MKUltra subprojects were born. This is where we see the, the fracturing of the whole thing. And this is why it's so difficult to put together as a story, because yep. there's so many avenues and there's so many places that were connected to MKUltra through various things. We'll talk about next episode, like the Human Ecology Fund and all these types of things. That they figured out how to break it all up. It's all these different little corporations and companies. See, and now you're there. Shit. Let's get rid of this ecology stuff. <laughs> now, you're there, now you're getting it, buddy. But it reminds me of the mural. You look at it and it's, oh, that's a little penis. And then it pans out and it's a picture of Donald Trump made out of little penises. And then they got you. You got him. They got you. But really, if you just look at the penis, you're like, that's just a little penis. That's just a nice little penis. So sometimes yeah. you have to long, long lens. Yeah. Then you see yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. It truly is. Artists wasted hours and hours of their lives mm -hmm. focused on that man. Oh, yeah. 
I hate it. I hate Ruined it. art for four years. Yep. Mm-hmm. Truly is a mosaic of pain, Ben. You're yes. very correct. Yep. <laughs> While LSD was certainly a large part of MKUltra, not all sub-projects involved drug experimentation. Others included social psychology, group psychology, psychotherapy, and sleep and sensory deprivation. I also was reading a very interesting article that I want to cover a little bit later on about the CIA's involvement in anthropology places all over the world and what they used and how they format and frame the way people viewed cultures for years as well. Mm. Oh, like cultural anthropology. Yes. Interesting. It's it's like they found out something like 70% of, of funding during this time period was CIA shell groups giving money to anthropology departments and then framing the way that they look at cultures and shit it's it's bad man it's really fucking bad dude (laughs) so many (laughs) things that we don't even know the truth of anymore man there's no objective reality you're You're turning into ice cream (laughs) there's no fucking objective reality bro we live in a fucking cia metaverse dude we gotta get this frozen turtle jacket Uh oh please he's turning into a street turd so you're telling me all those fucking ethnographies that I studied in college are all worthless? Shill. Not all of them. I'm sure not all of them are. You're a shill just like Burton J. Muntish's. Whoa! Shill. Yeah, oh. shill. Specifically, the sensory deprivation techniques were based on the work of Dr. Donald Hebb in Montreal. In 1951, Hebb received a $10,000 grant under contract X38. Oh, <laughs> also my favorite Axe flavor. I yeah, call it a flavor. I love X38. Yeah. Yeah. X38 was meant to study sensory deprivation on students. In one study, Heb paid 22 students a pittance to lay in a lighted cubicle 24 hours a day with all sensory stimuli muted. You know how many college kids were like, that's all I got to do? That's it. it. (laughs) Light was diffused by translucent goggles. Auditory stimulation was limited by soundproofing and constant low noise. And tactual perception was blocked by thick gloves and a U-shaped foam pillow around the head. Dr. Hebb found that after just four hours, subjects were unable to follow a train of thought. After 24 hours of being deprived sensory input, it caused, quote unquote, serious disturbance. You know, when they write that yeah. in a book, it's it's not pretty. It's no, not yeah, like a guy going, ah! Uh, yes, uh, Nancy, uh, put that down as serious disturbance. Oh, actually, put a bit of a temper tantrum in there because he's being a bit of a baby right now. Yeah, a bit of a baby, sure. After 48 hours, though, subjects experienced hallucinations similar to what one experiences on mescaline. One wow. subject said he saw rows of little yellow men with their mouths open wearing little black caps. That's while another, it's a minion! It's a fucking minion! No, it <laughs> it's came disgusting. The, it came from the minions CIA! Are, it's are another CIA. fucking disinformation project we're in the middle of! Bro. The whole despicable me there is, movie! I'm not even joking. Downtown LA, there's a massive minion that watches you like the dumpy eye of Sauron, and I believe it is the CIA psyop, and I believe that he is watching Henry... <laughs> is tinkering on the truth. (laughs) This is going to get bad. All right. Well, let me see if you can find some CIA head meeting in this one. Another hallucination was a guy who saw a procession of squirrels with sacks over their shoulders walking, quote unquote, purposefully. 
Yes, His because they are a- going to the funeral of RFK Jr. They are the working class with their nuts in their bag. But guess what? They're all going they there. All they wanted was freedom, and he was killed by the CIA. They are going there <laughs> to make sure he's dead. And then they can call Sirhan Sirhan, who we're going to get into probably episode five. We'll talk a little bit about Sirhan Sirhan and how... Um, he was a robot of the CIA. Yeah, no, I, actually, <laughs> I, I think I'm losing my mind too because Top Hat. I was doing like because everything. There's a lot of surveillance going on Things right now. Things are starting to really anyway, dovetail right. in a way that's bad for my mental health. <laughs> we need well, to go to Vegas. Yes. Well, in the auditory realm, one subject heard a choir singing in full stereophonic sound, Whoa. which is fucking awesome. It's sweet. Yeah. Yeah, but in the tactile realm, another subject actually felt pellets being fired from a miniature rocket ship. And you can't even pay for this shit anymore, dog. <laughs> that just what your brain cooks up, dude. Wow. No, this is like Doom Patrol shit, like how they created Mr. Nobody. Like, it's fucking mm-hmm. amazing. Now, it's worth pointing out that these experiments were not conducted in a CIA torture house. According to Dr. Hebb, every experiment occurred in purposefully cheery and happy surroundings. They made sure that that. everyone was comfortable. Oh, God, that would drive me freaking nuts. Yeah. Well, so one could only imagine what these techniques might do to someone in, say... The bowels of a CIA black site. Mm. Well, what we now know with the CIA is really good at setting a vibe, right? That's yeah. kind of what we learn from a lot of their work is that it's really all about creating an environment where mm-hmm. we can get the most impact from what it is that we're doing. And then these guys were doing these experiments in these various places because to them, to this guy, this is science. This is just innocent science, and we are doing this for the good of America. Like, it's very nice to him. It's all like, yeah, of course we're doing this. While meanwhile, they have cubicles with men screaming inside of it, and they're just like, fascinating. (laughs) Turns out people like to sleep. They do. Wow, shocking. Well, the other side of this is that this is something I've really been thinking about, uh, especially when writing this episode, is you really have to question, like, I think these guys would have been doing it anyway. Even if the CIA hadn't paid for it, they still would have done it. That's the Mm. center of the secret schools of of the the secret schools knowledge of this entire subject is that I think, which is what we did. We did it for free for seven years because we love to do it. (laughs) Literally, because we love to do it. We would do it for free, honestly. But I think that's the idea: is that you find people that would be into it in the first place. I mean, think yeah. about it. Like nobody pay the CIA didn't pay all those fucking surgeons to create lobotomies. They did it because they felt like doing it and because they wanted, they wanted to know more about the human brain. Yes, and these right. people are doing the same shit. They all all of those Harvard professors knew what Jeffrey Epstein was doing, but they took his money because it allowed them to do all the fucking hypothetical, weird fringe science stuff that they always wanted to do, but no one would give them the money to do it. Mm-hmm. But since the experiments with sensory deprivation were showing results, the CIA saw the value of Dr. Hebb's work, and therefore they funded hundreds of other projects on sensory deprivation. Eventually, these projects produced 230 articles in scientific journals over just seven years, and that was just for one relatively small subsection of MKUltra research. Wait, this whole point was just so they could write articles? That's the thing, well, because oh, the thing yuck. is, those guys get the You, sir, don't folks. understand academia at no, all. That's the I whole read the, point. I read The Economist. <laughs> I'm, I'm, wow. Wow. Whoa, give him a medal. Yeah. Okay. Well, why should I give you a pile of coins? <laughs> Mr. Economist. But That's the whole point. Henry. 
With Epstein and Harvard, they took his name off. They took it, they kept his money. But you, whenever we're in Ohio, Lex Wessner's name everywhere. Is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, man, you, yep. you may have been may have even been worse. And he just got his dick sucked by Epstein. <laughs> um, I don't know what they did. I don't know what they did. I don't know Something what they like, did. You know they touch tips. Live from your grave. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors big and small some people are presidents some people are soldiers some people have to eat mayonnaise especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch but I guess I should share that in therapy because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down and what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be 
pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. But as intriguing as sensory deprivation was, nothing outside of LSD, of course, was more important to MK Ultra scientists than hypnosis. With hypnosis, the CIA could conceivably create assassins who would carry out a mission, then forget both the crime itself and who had ordered it. That was at least the dream. Yeah, that was that the dream. Was the dream. Yeah. That was yeah. the goal. And as far as hypnosis went in the CIA, the main man was psychiatrist George Estabrooks. Old Esty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what they called him. Is that what they called yep. him? Sounds yep. like he smells. <laughs> <laughs> he smells like something. Yes, he does. Estabrooks told the CIA that he could create a hypnotic messenger who would not be able to betray his mission because he or she would have no conscious knowledge of what their mission actually was. This is great. We can use them for the U.S. Postal Service. (laughs) (laughs) They got to love the mail. (laughs) In this, Estabrooks claimed that he could establish a condition of split personality where two consciousnesses unaware of each other could exist within the same person, which is, of course, one of the most common MK Ultra tropes. Now, personally, I think Estabrooks' claims were a case of a man who overpromised and underdelivered in just about everything that he did. But Henry is of a different opinion when it comes to the possibility of split personalities. When we attack these subjects quite often, the goal is we keep coming back to is the human element. Like, what is it about people that make these things work? What and the, why yeah. people do it, and, and how the human element, the X factor, like like uh, Dan Carlin talks about, like these types of things that are what make history happen. It's like it's a part of like the right people in the right place kind of have to be there. And George Estabrooks, he wrote this book called Hypnotism, that when you read it, you realize like there's a lot of ideas in that book that are subtle, that then he puts forward that I think that you realize permeated the intelligence community Mm. in a way that was, uh, it started subtle and then it became obvious. Where George Estabrooks, yes, he said that it was real easy to train people to like do this super thing. easy like you anybody can do it <laughs> really okay but what he talked yeah. about it it's it's really weird because the introduction of hypnosis is supposed to be the idea of like you either slip some somebody from a sleeping state into a hypnotic state into okay. a trance state or what he called stage magic hypnosis where you put somebody up in front of a crowd and you berate them to do things and then mm-hmm. people people who follow right. along do it Right. And then they do. And it. this is used in evangelical. A lot of religions as well. You can yes, almost argue trans similar. Talking, yeah, people yeah. Very much tr- argue that. Yeah. Like um, Benny Hinn, all of his uh, chorus will fall over and stuff. And it's like, I don't think you really did. But, but what yeah. he do. Right. So he wrote this thing in there that was very mm. interesting. Is that he basically surmised that one in five people are incredibly hypnotizable. That they're like canaries. <laughs> well, right? how, like, how did he get to that number? But I don't know. It's because he, he made shit up. Okay. He didn't make shit up. Yeah. But he also, like, <laughs> he would run tests. 
And one thing that he'd do to find out, because the goal is, is to find out who's highly suggestible. Okay. And you would do things like he'd put a hypnotic suggestible thing. Like he would, he said he did it under a yodeling record. Think about this. And he would sit people in a and he put subliminal messages in this recording and he played in a room and basically he'd see who'd fall asleep and not because of just boring like they would see people that would fall into a hypnotic trance and then he's like oh that's somebody who's really good for it because he talks about in he has an example of it where he says that he trained a guy to do this thing where he he basically said okay we're going to hypnotize you to have a secret bit of information that we're going to give to this other colonel in Japan. You're going to, and I'm going to hypnotize you and then I'm going to lock you in. It's called locking okay. to that. You're going to hear the word. The moon is clear. And then when you go there, that guy you meet, it's going to say the moon is clear. You're going to shift back into a hypnotic state. You're going to give him the statement that you're going to, you said that you could. Right. right. And then the other guy then puts you back into a trance. You go back to America. Right. Okay. And the thing is, like, I do believe in a way that, like, because the idea of hypnotism working or not is up for debate. No one yeah. really talks about what, no one really is sure if hypnotism works. But I think that if you do it on somebody who's so fucking, like, let's put it this way, stupid or <laughs> highly suggestible, highly, highly, highly Sp suggestible. Spongy. Spongy. Super, super spongy. That it works every once in a while, but it's yeah. not well, dependable. Wouldn't the, but wouldn't the suggestion itself work? Well, that's who knows, because right? also what it does is it gives you a way out too. we were talking about this is that you find yeah. people that are willing to do these things, quote unquote, under hypnosis. But then afterwards, if they get caught, they can be like, I must have been hypnotized. Isn't I was that what I Patty, was a part of the Isn't that what Patty Hearst said? Yes. Well, yes. Not, not not really. Kind of, sort of. That's, that's an oversimplification that's of the Patty. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we'll get, you, we'll yeah. do that story one day. We'll oh, definitely. That story. No, it's fascinating. Um, but no, it's just this idea of like, it's about finding the right people that would fall into these things but yes he talked about using the radio to hypnotize the entire population in the united states of america and he just kind of talked about this idea of like but didn't fooling it work? people like you fool people what you do is they don't know they're being hypnotized you you set them up like it's in a medical experiment where you he uses as an example and you put like a blood pressure cuff on them to do measure their blood pressure and then you still be like but the thing is before we get your blood pressure we're gonna have to calm you down so you're gonna really want to Listen to my voice, and you want to fall deeper, deeper. <laughs> yeah, like where you're gonna do the bit, right? It yeah. is that where you all of a sudden you got him, and he didn't even know he was being hypnotized. But so yeah. not to be too corny here, but isn't there a truth to the radio being? You look at Rush Limbaugh, for example. He, the Limbaugh Congress, those things. He actually changed the minds, or he uh, LRH, you know, James yeah, Jones, Facebook. All isn't these that people all mind control. I don't say. I, I, I would. Thing? What I would say is that it's the same thing that, that's happened very recently. It's not about changing people's minds. It's about awakening what's already there. Yeah, uh, it. it's yeah. That and that's pretty much the same deal with hypnotism is that hypnotism, you can't make anyone do anything they wouldn't normally do. We'll get into this a little bit more okay. later on. Uh, but that really is. And I think with George Estabrooks, the people that he's talking about, if he's able to accomplish what he says he'll accomplish, the people that he could accomplish it on are such fucking dullards that they yes. would not be able to accomplish anything of consequence. They're also expendable. Yeah, but They're you also expendable. could. 
they're expendable, but you also can't depend on them because no. there's no CIA operation that's done by just one guy. Like gotcha. it is an entire team of people that has to put this thing into motion and you're not going to fuck and you're not going to risk the whole operation on gummy Steve. That's just yeah. a, a the, fucking well, moron. A I thought I was getting a free sandwich when I got back to Vietnam. <laughs> gummy Steve, you know you can't have any sandwiches. Oh man, I'm going to get the, shot in the head, aren't I? Yeah, here's the yeah, I knew it. I knew it. All right. Well, I'm glad it's you. Uh-huh. Here's your bucket of slosh. Enjoy. So they're basically looking for the kind of people that would get into a fight at the old country buffet or the Golden Corral because they didn't get their steak when they wanted it. Just people that are ready to go. People that are willing to do it. But the, again, it would only imagine you take 100,000 candidates for this and then 100 people can actually be useful for it. And then they're one shots. They yeah, they're one do it one time. And But that's the other thing, too, is that you don't know if they're going to be able to do it that one time. Because Which everybody's the reason why they started abducting children and growing children in vats in order to train them from the birth age. So that's really, you guys have not that's the matrix. You guys have not read MK Ultra candidates, the step horde wives of the MK Ultra. So not you'll yet. get there. All right. I'll, I'll listen to it on tape. Well, the CIA believed in the split personality principle enough to produce a short film called The Black Art to educate their own agents. In this film, an American intelligence officer drugs and hypnotizes an Asian diplomat, then forces him to enter his embassy, steal documents, and turn them over to the intelligence officer. The film ends with this voiceover. Could what you have just seen be accomplished without the individual's knowledge? Yes. Against Whoa. an individual's will? Yes. Yeah. How? Through the powers of suggestion and hypnosis. I believe it because he said it deeply. He did. <laughs> I also just love the CIA is like, we do shit without people's consent. Yep. They love <laughs> it. We love it. <laughs> Now, as I said at the top of this episode, the OSS had tossed aside hypnosis as a possible espionage weapon back in World War II because they've been told by multiple psychiatrists that you cannot hypnotize a person into doing something that they would never do. For example, we spoke in the last episode about how Morris Allen, director of Project Bluebird, was able to use hypnotism to turn chaste employees into flirty girls. But that's cute. That's like cute. That's I not a fascination. I don't know. Well, that's the thing is that that's, that's really it, that's not all that hard because it's possible that those employees wanted to flirt but believe that it was not appropriate to do so or not appropriate to do at work. It's a common feeling. It it's is. a good it's a good guess. I'm uh, introducing Gropy Thursdays as you see show and we know that every secretary is here to find a husband. We know we're just going to yeah. make it easy so we're going to put your bare butts through holes in these walls yeah. and then these men your bosses are going to smell your butts and choose one of you to be your wife. Gummy Steve, get out of here. Gummy. I never get to be no, a part you of the don't. experiment. You don't, Gummy Steve, go have your slosh. But to take that same employee and turn them into an assassin against their will is a different matter altogether. Because even if that person is capable of murder, there's no way to know they're capable of murder unless you put them in a situation where killing is a possibility. Right. But even though Gottlieb knew all this, he decided that those initial studies had missed something. So he continued with MKUltra subprojects. There was Subproject 5, which included 100 subjects at the University of Minnesota, and according to a surviving memo, Gottlieb wanted the subproject to investigate the following areas. 
hypnotically induced anxieties, okay. hypnotically increasing the ability to learn and recall complex written matter. That's cool. Polygraph response under hypnotism, oh. the relationship of personality to susceptibility to hypnosis. You got to have a marshmallow mind. Yes. I mean, I just like this is all with the backdrop of the the Midwest accent. Oh, yes. <laughs> and most importantly, the recall of hypnotically acquired information by very specific signals. To that last point, Gottlieb had also assigned the chair of the psychology department at the University of Oklahoma, a guy named Dr. Jolly on West, jolly to his friends, with subproject <laughs> 43, researching disassociative states. Under Jolly's supervision, Subproject 43 tested drugs in a special chamber that attempted to use hypnotic, pharmacological, and sensory environment variables to manipulate the subject into altered personalities. In other words, if Subproject 43 could figure out how to alter personalities and Subproject 5 could use hypnosis to acquire information through specific signals, then Sidney Gottlieb was that much closer to delivering an MK Ultra agent. And you know how Mormons were so happy. They're like, we're finally going to fix our son, Greg. This is it. He's going to not be gay anymore. <laughs> we're going to make him love not having coffee. That's, That's fine. right. But concerning Jolly West, he, like many MK Ultra subcontractors, had a mad scientist streak. Oh. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. This story, oh, this that's story what is I fucked like. up. I love that. Mad scientist streak. In 1962, Jolly shot a dart containing 300,000 micrograms of LSD into an elephant named Tusco at the zoo in Oklahoma City. I don't know what he was trying to accomplish. <laughs> LSD is in a bigger thing, it will have more of an effect. Is it? Was, I mean, honestly, it, he just may have wanted to see this elephant fucked up. He might have truly just wanted to see the pink elephants from fucking Pinocchio. <laughs> or do elephants, do you think if elephants are alcoholics, they see pink humans? Oh. I just want to end myself. <laughs> Here's a blow dart. <laughs> he gave this elephant a hundred thousand times the regular oh LSD dose, or at least what you give a human. Um, you should have just started small, waited 45 minutes, oh then God. add a little bit, you, add a little you bit. You wait yes. an hour and a half. You don't wait 45 minutes. You wait an hour yeah. and a half. Ask I'm just trying elephant. to have fun. Also, an yeah. elephant never forgets. This is a nightmare. It's a fucking lost cause. Mm -hmm. Oh, dude, I mean, the elephant didn't need to fucking forget. Five minutes later, it fell over, shat itself, had a seizure, and died. Yep. <laughs> Science. It's horrible. It's, what science? Useful. What is the science? Just made a new. You know what you just did? Uh, you just made four end tables. That's fantastic. just from the legs. You got to throw the rest of the corpse away because it's fucking useless. I well, I don't. I don't know. Now, one might think that MK Ultra would contain its experiments to medical or scientific professionals, but since the Cold War was all hands on deck, one of the very first people recruited into the program was a magician named John Mulholland. I would like to think, I would like to hope, because magicians show up all the time and you always want to do like, hello, like that style, but I'm thinking he's a Chris Angel type. Really? You think so? Brooding. Showing up being like, where's your girlfriend? How many grannies disappeared? Like, he has a very long happy trail. Like, he's that guy who has, like, a fucking three-foot-long happy trail that goes right up to the shaft of his beautiful penis. Okay. <laughs> so we have kind of a Chris Angel-type magician. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of necklaces. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yes. 
Well, Mulholland had been a close friend and protege of Harry Houdini and claimed that no man could be considered a magician until he was able to, quote, skillfully perform the cup and balls. <laughs> what's the cup and balls? <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, no, I've heard that line before. <laughs> and I'm sick yeah. of applying to these magician schools to only get raped. It's just right? so I am it's- sick of it. The cup and balls, my goodness. The cup and balls, it's when you get three cups and you get, what, and no, you get the ball. Yeah, the yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, Mulholland was somewhat of a celebrity who rubbed elbows with Dorothy Parker, Jimmy Durante, Eddie Cantor, and Orson Welles. Oh. I know you recognize at least one of those names. I Jimmy, Jimmy Durante. Durante. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Durante. None of these kids know. Jimmy know. Durante, he may have transferred over. Uh, I don't think Jimmy Durante here. is alive in the Zoomer generation. I feel like Jimmy Durante was his generation's Abe Vigoda, where he was just kind of like known. But I don't mm. know why. I don't know. Anyway. No, no, no. John Mulholland also edited a professional journal for illusionists called The Sphinx. But every time you and- put it on the table, it disappears. And oh, you're like, man. where's this fucking magazine? Whoa. The only magic trick is the price keeps going up. <laughs> Inflation! <laughs> And John Mulholland had a personal library of over 6,000 books on magic that was eventually purchased by David Copperfield. Oh. Or the, the George H.W. Bush. His favorite joke, <laughs> David Copperfield. Yep. Yes, indeed. Mulholland was also an accomplished author of books about stage magic. And once World War II began, Mulholland's book, this is my favorite magic book title ever, the Art of Illusion, Magic for Men to Do. This is magic for men to do. All right? It's yeah. not like how you can magically make a pussy on yourself if you take your dick and you shove the head of it in your asshole. Now you're not so lonely, are you? Yeah. That was distributed to members of the armed services as entertainment. Okay. Now, since Mulholland's book, Magic for Men to Do, had been so popular with the military, his name was well known to intelligence services. Additionally, Mulholland also had the same failed patriot complex as Sidney Gottlieb, because Mulholland had been denied the chance to fight in World War I because of rheumatic fever. I was going to go to the war, but I was sick. <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah, That's what I would do. If you were drafting me into a future war, I'd just go... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can. I just am so. <coughs> You're a Navy boy. You're immediately going to be put on the Navy ship. Yeah, dude. So when Gottlieb approached Mulholland to serve his country with MK Ultra, the magician jumped at the chance. Now, since Mulholland was a master of illusion, his first job was to train CIA agents to covertly deliver poisons, both hallucinogenic and deadly. Look at the bird, look at the bird, yes, look at the yes. bird, look at the bird. Uh-huh. You're poisoned. Oh! It's that easy to do. It's that easy. That was great. But what if I don't have a bird? You're fucked. Ah, oh, man. You need to get a bird. God. First of all, honestly, if we, if we are not, if there's not a bird budget here, then this entire operation is, bu- is bust. All right. Well, every, every member of the CIA now gets a bird. Oh, man, that would be amazing if we had a whole fucking branch of our covert services. This bird just dudes scientists. with birds. Just dudes ah! with birds. Ah! <laughs> You'd know what they were up to, that's for sure. These instructions about covertly slipping poisons were so successful that Gottlieb commissioned Mulholland to write a training manual for CIA officers. And Gottlieb requested this using his alias, 
Sherman Grifford. Sherman (laughs) Grifford. (laughs) Sounds like one of those stupid fucking names Holden used to make up on Roundtable. It is. Sherman Grifford. (laughs) Well, you know, we find out, you know, they got to make names like CIA has got to make up names all the time. So eventually they get stupider and stupider. They're busy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at what parents are doing these days. Yeah. yeah. Now, this manual. <laughs> yeah. Oh, names God. God. Yeah. Oh, names. Hey, have you not noticed oh. that names are different than when yeah, I was a wow, kid? Yeah, wow. The names. <laughs> Whatever happened to names like Pete? Yeah, now they're all named like Peter. <laughs> but it's like P-E-T-E slash her. And there it's very go. interesting. It's very hard. Yeah, it's hard to be a teacher. Now, this manual, called Some Operational Applications of the Art of Deception, was long thought to be lost. Recently, however, it resurfaced in totality, making it the, and this is serious, the only MK Ultra document to survive completely intact. Whoa. Yeah. It's wild. It's a fun document. Like, I was reading mm-hmm. through it. It's very fun. Like, it's a yeah. lot of tr- a lot of party tricks. Cool. Yeah. For an example of how weird all this shit was, the manual refers to everything in euphemisms. CIA officers were performers. Oh. Toxins were materials. Targets were spectators, and the act of poisoning was called a trick. In total, Mulholland's manual was divided into five sections, starting with the basis for successful performance and the background psychological principles by which they operate. From there, it moved on to, quote, tricks with pills, Uh tricks whereby small objects could be obtained, tricks with liquids, and tricks... With loose solids. <laughs> Honestly, with loose solids, it's better to just leave them alone. Oh, my. get them a jacket. Don't, don't, don't we don't need about. to be all tactile with them. Oh, loose solid is so gross. I don't, I don't even know what that means. I, it's <laughs> jello. Jello. Like, it just feels like, are we weaponizing jello? Is that where we got to in fucking 1950s? Mayonnaise. Whoa. We, we already saw the weaponized mayonnaise story in Side Stories. Exactly. In practice, the manual taught such tricks as how to flick a pill into a victim's drink while distracting him by lighting a cigarette. Over here, over here, over here. Look over here. Uh-huh. It also told how capsules could be hidden in, then ejected from, wallets, notebooks, or paper pads. It told of how venom could be concealed in a ring, how toxic powders could be dispensed from the eraser cavity of a lead pencil, and how to spray liquid on a solid, like bread, without either the action or the result being noticed. The key is to you... It's it's banaka. What you do is you pump it up your butthole, Uh and then Uh you take it to the bathroom, and then you just kind of let it fall out onto the bread. And you're like... Here's your bread. That's a thousand times more difficult than just spraying it on the bread, though. I didn't write the manual. Uh-huh. <laughs> you go in there and the guy's like, you just brought bread from the bathroom? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Like, okay, well, great. I always like dry bread. Yeah. <laughs> now, so far, we've discussed interrogation techniques, hypnotism, and practical spycraft. But MKUltra's main focus was how LSD could be used in the service of mind control. That's the special sauce of MKUltra. That's where they were like, this is what's going to be the real key. And we're just going to apply all of these other various tricks and trades of spycraft to this. Because they'd already been interested in all these magic trick bullshit. Sidney Gottlieb's book is all full of that horseshit. Stanley Lovell's is all the same thing. Where That's what they put forward. The CIA always puts all of these like fun like bits of trivia about them. Like right. they love talking about that. The International Spy Museum is all about that, where it's just like, look at all these fun things we do. And meanwhile, like 
I don't know if any of this shit works. I don't Mind think any of these guys are magicians. <laughs> Mind control was the main goal, though. Oh, yeah. At yeah. all times. So these are just little fun side quests. They just wanted to hang out with magicians. Yes. We- yeah. I mean, it, they are fun side quests, but, you know, it's also... Uh, it's for but a with purpose. The, but with the magician, it's also about uh, delivering these poisons. It's about delivering LSD right. because they wanted this both for practical like field use and for you know interrogation use and for creating their own agents. MK Ultra had a lot of different tentacles out there, sure. but mind control really was the main thing, and they thought that LSD was the secret key to mind control. Almost sounds like an octopus or something. Mm. Nope. <laughs> Some kind of bad repute. Yes. <laughs> So Gottlieb started with the basics, commissioning tests to see just how much LSD a guy could take. (laughs) Sign me up, bro. Yeah, bro. There was one summer there. (laughs) From there, Gottlieb moved on to how much LSD it would take to completely shatter a man's consciousness so it could be replaced with a new personality or new impulses. I'm going to cover this more in later episodes, but if you look at the QBark like interrogation manual the CIA uses, they talk about this. That's kind of when they the idea of hypnosis would come in. The idea is that you just fuck up a guy for a while. Right. And then you start doing things. Why like don't that. they just realize the person that they're dealing with and retroactively try to figure out how to convince them to do these things without breaking their brains? It's because people don't want to do them. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to do the things. They don't want to defend against the yeah. government. They don't want to get executed, but they're released. They don't want to be in the prison anymore, but they also don't want to cooperate with you. I can find you. you someone who wants to get executed. I mean, no, that's yeah. easy now, especially these yeah. days. TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> 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 Craigslist. Well, they had this first bit of research. Gottlieb hired a man named Harris Isbell, director of research at the Addiction Research Center in Kentucky. There, Isbell had his pick of inmates from the prison system. Mostly, Isbell used black inmates because they were considered the most expendable of all. This is, again, we're going to see a common thread where we talk about in our true crime episodes and serial kill episodes about the less dead. Mm. What these guys understood, too, is that what you do is you you look at the least protected members of society, prisoners and, and people that are in insane asylums and all this kind of shit, and you use those guys. And that's what we'll use our, our we'll find out We'll get information from these guys, and it's going to happen again and again and again and again throughout this whole story. Indigenous people as well. Yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. of course. Very sad. Under many different sub-projects, Isbell conducted such experiments as testing whether LSD or mescaline could make users more susceptible to hypnosis, the effects of drugs that produce delusion or delirium, and pharmacological studies to develop new, quote-unquote, psychochemicals, just in case LSD didn't work out. Okay. Now, even though this research was funded by the CIA, Isbell, like many others who experimented with mind-altering drugs, made no secret of what he was doing. He wrote hundreds of scientific articles based on his research, but in those articles, he always referred to his subjects as, quote-unquote, volunteers. Anybody's a volunteer if you ask them to do something and you put a hands on either side of their heads and you right. make them nod. You go like you squish their head <laughs> up and down. You're like see yeah. we got we see he's volunteering. Oh man you made me think about that nothing that Gordon Ramsay when he put the su- when he sandwich, put the slices. Yeah, we call that an idiot sandwich. <laughs> idiot sandwich. <laughs> that person an idiot sandwich dude. Mm-hmm. I remember. <laughs> I remember. Very yeah. memeable. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking you fucking Donkey. Oh, he's <laughs> such a donkey. That guy was such a donkey. He was an idiot sandwich, that guy was. 
Now, technically, I suppose you could call these men volunteers in the loosest sense, but the manner in which their cooperation was gained was by no means ethical and could very well be considered evil. None of the so-called volunteers were told what drug they were taking, nor what the effect might be, and many were bribed with high-grade heroin, which is not the most ethical reward when you're running a place called the Addiction Research Center. They're like, oh shit, I can get the best stuff here at the center? Well, this is, this is awesome. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they're volunteers. That's We're really sure. experimenting on just how groovy this smack is and whether or not it helps you enjoy the Velvet Underground to its peak of enjoyment. Oh, wow. In one experiment, Isbell gave an inmate 170 micrograms of LSD, which caused the inmate to feel that he might die or become permanently insane. Yeah. The inmate said he'd never do it again, but agreed to repeat the experiment after, quote unquote, considerable persuasion. He's forced to. Yeah. Well, no, no, well, not really. You get things taken from you. you yeah, exactly. no, it's, no, it's not what you get taken from you. It's what you get given. The, uh, ed, the, what they did with these experiments, it was about it was about positive reinforcement because that oh, considerable wow. persuasion. Oh, yeah. wow. I mean, it's just horrible. <laughs> In a horrible way. I mean, con- considerable persuasion meant more comfortable cells, better prison jobs, or good time credit that could go towards early release. But mostly... Isbell was just exploding the addictions of these prisoners. Mostly he used heroin. That's what they chose most of the time. And the goal of the experiment is to, it's not to see how LSD just works. It's to see how much LSD a human's brain and mind can take. So it's not like, it's it's not a fun time. I I cut tabs in half now. That's where I'm at. Like I cut a tab in half right. and I do half of it like and that's cool. That's 12 hours yeah, of Yeah, because you're not a yeah. uh, you're not a prisoner who's had their constitutional rights completely stripped away from them. Not yet. You still have autonomy and stuff. But the whole thing, the saddest part is all of this is for fucking it's so stupid. They just want to figure out how fucked yeah. up you get. On a drug that gets you fucked up. Yes, and what it's like it's just is so what they did stupid. in Nazi fucking Germany. It's exactly. just like it's the same thing. It's it's Unit 731 again, but light. It's, right? it's a, yeah, it's a light oh, version. Quote, quote. Well, it's, that's what they're doing is that they're trying to create an entire, they're trying to create a theory. They're trying to create a working a theory. Body like, knowledge. Right. Yeah, body of knowledge. Like, you know, the the whole um, idea of, like, you know, the sum is greater than its part, than the equal of its parts, you know, where you have an entire, like, if you have all of the pieces of a car, a car is fucking useless. But right. if you put it all together, then you have a car. And what they're trying to do is they're basically trying to build a car without knowing what a car looks like. Yeah. Right. So they're just trying fucking See what's there. anything. Yeah. yeah they're, tra- they're, tra- they're trying to gain as much knowledge as they can. That's a uh, the uh, new award that I'm presenting, Analogy of the Day. Really? Thank you. <laughs> well, thank God. We need more awards in this society. They really help. Now, as the experiments continued, Isbel found five inmates who volunteered to take LSD every day. Oh, and after man. months of continual dosing, Isbel almost doubled the dosage to 300 micrograms, oh. which in layman's terms is a tripping balls amount. Oh, yeah. This is when you can taste the acid. You know, yeah. like it's like so much acid, you can, it has a flavor. These men reported massive anxiety, as well as feelings of unreality, electric shocks on the skin, tingling sensations, choking, abnormal coloration, spinning circles of color, and distortions yes. in the sizes of inanimate objects. Oh, God. Taking things further, Isbel expanded his experiment group to seven inmates and kept them on LSD 
for 77 days straight, doubling, tripling, or quadrupling the doses from previous experiments. Perhaps not surprisingly, these experiments were only between Isbel and Stanley Gottlieb. These weren't published. Yeah, because the guy turned into a gargoyle. Or like, <laughs> oh at some point, do you think gosh. one of them just turned into pure energy, just like disappeared? <laughs> like, just been like, bye, I'm, I'm going to the Bardo. Like, that's what I would, uh, you hope that the idea you're tripping that hard for that long, that you've seen through the veil, you know how to oh. time travel. I think you just end up in the fetal position, yeah, kind of puking think, on yourself. I think you just, yeah, you become a shattered uh, ventrilo- ventriloquist dummy of a person. Right. And you start calling your penis a faucet and you start mm-hmm. drinking out of it. Yeah. It's like, look, I'll make my own water. Ugh. Well, think of it this way. Like all of us have, you know, we have decades of cultural experience with LSD. We have yes. we have so much context. Movies with what, have taught us what to do with yeah, it. Music, what it is. We, we have there, all that kind of shit. Yeah, we know what it is. We know what a right. trip is like. We know all of this shit. It's a part of the it's a part of the fucking collective unconsciousness now. Back then, this is 1952, 53. These guys have no idea what's happening to them. They might no have been abducted by aliens. Yeah. But Isbell didn't just experiment on black inmates. In one case, he chose a white former senator named William Henry Wall, who had been sentenced to 18 months in prison for illegally taking the painkiller Demerol. Am I, I'm what, rooting what? for this one. Fucking give it to him. Let's see what he does. I, I think every why senator was, should be fucking dosed. Why? But that doesn't seem out of what. This was the middle of the communist witch hunt. Yeah. Joseph McCarthy never got to was sent to prison. This man no. was sent to prison for Demerol. Demerol. Yeah, he had a, for well, illegally taking. Yeah. Well, what, I mean, he put it's, up his asshole. No, it's what happens nowadays where you get people who get uh, prescribed oxy and then they get addicted to oxy and then they go to prison for getting more. They they go to prison for illegally buying oxy. This is exactly what happened with this guy, but with Demerol. The Sackler family should be in prison. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, this guy was it was just Demerol after a fucking um, dentist appointment. Like he had been given Demerol after like a root canal and then got. (laughs) Now, how many more teeth do you have? I think how many more teeth do you think you can pull? I'm pretty certain you give me enough Demerol. Them teeth are going to grow back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So he's in there for Demerol. Reportedly, the LSD experiments left Wall mentally crippled, and for the rest of his life, he suffered from delusions, paranoia, panic attacks, and suicidal impulses. However, the Addiction Center was by no means the only American prison where LSD experiments happened. Carl Pfeiffer, chairman of the Department of Pharmacology at Emory University, ran four MKUltra subprojects that studied ways to induce psychotic states in normal and schizophrenic human beings using LSD and other drugs. Like, what's the thing that we can give you to make you go into berserker mode right. so that yeah. we can use you like so we will do a bunch of fucked up shit in, a, yeah. in an afternoon? Yeah. And he's doing this on schizophrenic prisoners. But apparently the the schizophrenic prisoners of what I was reading, when he went to do this experiment, he found that the people with schizophrenia reacted to LSD different than the people who didn't have schizophrenia. Where like, honestly, the LSD and the schizophrenic uh, uh, patients, like it had no effect. It may have just been like, welcome to the party. Seriously, well, now you're all (laughs) thinking like me. Now now do I make sense? And then the other dudes went nuts. Yeah, Yeah. you know, that makes sense. Well, pursuant to the CIA, this guy evaluated hallucinogenic materials of interest to the CIA's technical services, reporting induced psychosis on inmates that lasted for days, characterized by repeated waves of depersonalization, visual hallucinations, Mm. and feelings of unreality. 
Interestingly, infamous Boston gangster James Whitey Bulger was oh. one of Pfeiffer's subjects. We have really? to cover him eventually because yeah. he's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Because he was an undercover informant the whole time. We'll oh, get yeah. into something like that. But yeah, that's a crazy story. Well, Bulger was incarcerated at the Atlanta Federal Prison for armed robbery and truck hijacking, but had not yet committed the 19 murders for which he was later charged. From what Bulger was told in prison, though, he was volunteering for an experiment that was testing drugs to find a cure for schizophrenia. So he and 19 other inmates were given LSD every day for 15 months. Ooh. That's a lot. Well, that's how you get the nickname Whitey. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Later, in one of the few credible MK Ultra reports from a victim's perspective, Bulger wrote that he constantly heard voices and saw movements in his cell, but refused to tell anyone what he was seeing because he was afraid he'd be committed for life. And is that weird? That's like the superpower of a mobster Whoa. that until later when they move to Florida and they start talking, where it's like this, the idea of like keeping his mouth shut as he's mm -hmm. just like watching all the shit happen around him. It's like, <laughs> yeah. That's a true criminal. There's something about Florida. It makes people very talkative. It does. Yeah. I don't know why. After being injected with large doses of LSD, Bulger said that eight to ten men in suits would give the subjects tests to see their reactions, oh, inducing hallucinogenic states of panic and paranoia for hours at a time in what Bulger called a living nightmare. This is this is like when I was forced to do pull-ups in gym and everyone fucking knew I couldn't do and a pull-up. And they're pull all laughing but they and still laughing. They make you go try to do it and then, oh, what a horrible situation. From what Bulger said, he saw blood coming out of the walls. He Whoa. saw men turning into skeletons before Whoa, his very eyes. He saw a camera change into the head of a dog. That's too much acid, man. <laughs> <laughs> you take it too much. Hey, if you walk up to a camera going, you could be like, oh, he's he's gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, while the men were hooked up to machines, the scientists would ask questions. They'd ask, hey, you ever killed anyone? Hey, you ever thought about killing anybody? Yeah, yeah. I mean, constantly thinking about it. Can't uh, we put some fucking, get, like, Felice Brothers on? Yeah, yeah, just come relax. <laughs> yeah, drive-by truckers or something. Now, while Bulger came out the other end, Others in this experiment lost their mind completely. Some had to be pried loose from under their beds, <laughs> growling, barking, and frothing at the mouth. This I understand. Bulger said that after these men were taken to a strip cell down the hall, none of them were ever seen again. Whoa, that's I fucking mean, horrifying. They might, I mean, I, they might have taken him to a different part of the prison, but they also might have just took him out back and shot him in the fucking head. <laughs> yeah, and buried That's him hard. in one of the nameless, graveless, oh like, prison God. graveyards. Yeah. Right. Now, outside of the prison system, Gottlieb also contracted a psychiatrist at Stanford University named James Hamilton, who'd worked with George Hunter White on the OSS Truth Serum Project and had advised the Chemical Corps on biological warfare. Among the three MK Ultra subcontracts Hamilton headed, he studied, quote, synergistic actions of drugs that may be appropriate in abolishing consciousness. That's not good. That is, I, I really need my consciousness. What are you, uh, wait, what are you studying? We're trying to get rid of the operating system that you live in. Oh, yeah. okay. And he was researching methods to enable the administration of these drugs without the patient's knowledge. You know, now that I think about it, 
it seems like most of the names we're talking about are male, other than MK Naomi, which is a secretary. Maybe a woman could have helped you. I, you know, yeah, maybe well, just like well, one you notice, been like, though, guys, uh, what the, are you doing? Here? The woman they trot out that is like the friendly face of the CIA at this time. I forget what her name is. It's like the former director, and she's this cute little lady, and she's like, Oh, you know, we just sit at the desk and we read <laughs> files. She's been like, you fucking traitorous wow. bitch. Yeah. You fucking you all need to go to the Hague. Oh, yeah. We all know what happened when that wonderful woman, Janet Reno, was put in charge. Play my she- song. <laughs> Play my song. Oh, yes. We love Waco. Well, also in the... <laughs> we do. We, do. we love you, Waco. Well, also in the Ivy League, a psychiatrist named Robert Hyde experimented on students from Harvard, Emerson, and MIT. And all of these people were unwittingly participating in the CIA's research into mind control. No, I got the conclusion here. They're all spoiled brats. Yeah, a bunch of nerds. <laughs> Hello, spoiled brats. And for the paltry sum of $15, students drank a vial of clear, colorless, odorless liquid that they were told might produce a quote-unquote altered state. Maybe. I remember licking a powder out of an Altoid can <laughs> at the yeah. creek, so I it happens. And that was for free. They I didn't got, get paid to do that. They got paid 15 bucks. Yeah, yeah. they used to pay 5 bucks for a cup of that. However, no one involved in the study had the proper training to guide the participants, nor did they have the proper training to even know what the participants were going through. And the reactions were so severe, one girl hanged herself in the clinic bathroom. What? Yeah. Stabilized. Don't don't do that. You don't go back. It's very (laughs) difficult, especially if you have under undiagnosed mental illnesses with it. And then you just get shot hardcore down a fucking tube of your own mind. You got soft rooms. Blow up castles, man. Come on. Well, they had no idea. idea. The CIA has the best freaking drugs. They just needed to get a they they needed Chip and Joe. Yeah. They did. They needed like (laughs) someone to come and fix up these. Which is why they hired him. Absolutely. Well, once they got the fucking drugs to the right people, we got one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I mean, yeah. it's fucking insane it what happens. Yeah, fantastic it helps. movie. Yeah. Well, book. They made a book out of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never fails. Live from your grave. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases, they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it and she loved it and she wore it when we went on vacation and my own did everybody come around being like where'd you get that piece you beautiful woman and I was like stop talking to my wife she's spoken for you can see it with the blue Nile bling she's got on her right now get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code last podcast at blue Nile.com that's $50 off with code last podcast at blue Nile.com blue Nile.com
Hey! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs, and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list. With Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada's already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish. Wow! I just gotta learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm gonna be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. But perhaps the most infamous Ivy League study that is suspected to have been funded by MK Ultra Money involved Ted Kaczynski. I will have my revenge! <laughs> yes, Ted, you actually will. Yeah. He's got cancer now. Does uh, he really? Well, he's had a run. He's like in yeah. his 80s. Yeah. Yeah, Ted Kaczynski, of course, is the Unabomber. In Ted's second year at Harvard, when he was just 17 years old, he volunteered for a study run by a doctor named Henry Murray. Now, there was no drugs involved in this study. This was pure psychological mumbo-jumbo. And over the course of three years, Kaczynski and other students were subjected to aggressive, traumatizing sessions in which Murray had them confess to their most revered beliefs. Then, once Murray had all of their beliefs all typed up in a nice little file, he'd go in and rip those beliefs and the subjects apart during brutal interrogation sessions. Oh, that's what you believe in? Let's see what Reddit thinks. <laughs> it just went through and just showed all of the various shithead opinions. Yeah. You need to see what the Ted Kaczynski file. Just be like, I'm actually going to file this one under. We'll come back to haunt me. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's great. <laughs> Smells like old milk. <laughs> nice. Okay, good. Well, the point of this study, Murray said, was to test how subjects would emotionally respond to extreme stress and interrogation. But all it did to Ted Kaczynski, who was never what you'd call well-adjusted, was destroy his entire sense of self. He was never the same after the experiments at Harvard. And it's not a coincidence that almost half of Kaczynski's mail bombs were sent to universities after he escaped society to a remote shack in Montana. They made a supervillain. Dude, and then you Start, wow. And then uh, you can see why when you start to read Program to Kill, how it begins to start to make sense in some ways where like Program to Kill jumps off the reservation. Like this is one of those where you're like, well, <sighs> that's a direct <laughs> fucking result of MK Ultra. So, well, they got one on the one Program to Kill Zero America. You but know? they did not program him to kill. Like no, they, they did didn't. not. They just they, programmed well, him to not be him anymore. Yeah, they, they well, they just didn't give a shit. Like, that's the whole thing about all of this. They just don't right. fucking care what happens. It's all chaos. Yeah. All of it. Now, outside of academia, Sidney Gottlieb trusted his fellow MK Ultra scientists with LSD in social settings. Oh, that's going to work out great. <laughs> I mean, the idea, you got to see how it works operationally. Start dancing like Elaine from Seinfeld. Yeah, people d- did a lot more than that. Actually, they would say that sometimes uh, Sidney Gottlieb would do a bunch of acid and like show off his folk his dancing. Folk dancing. Do the thing where they click, they like kick their feet together and then they slap forearms at the same time. Dang. Well, specifically, Gottlieb would supply acid for recreational use to Harold Abramson, who, if you'll remember, guided Gottlieb through his first acid trip. Do you think you have to sit and talk about fucking soccer with Gottlieb for an hour, like, after you get it? Like, is this this where the the actual (laughs) ceremony of hanging out with your dealer began? Oh, that would suck, dude. Reportedly, Abramson would distribute acid to guests at his Long Island home during parties. These parties were, according to a source... Quote, wild and crazy, along with all the sex and what have you. So, hmm. fondue, wow, <laughs> salsa was everywhere. Everywhere, <laughs> yeah, wild and crazy. And the other one was wild and woolly. Yep, yeah, yeah. Wow. And these are just LSD fuck parties. <laughs> the is, I don't get horny on hallucinogens. No, not like no, man. I, I, no. Weird. It's to each his own. Then, way. yeah. To each his own. To each his own. A little horned up. He's a little horny dog. I'm horny too, yeah, but well, no. yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, on hallucinogens, it can be an absolutely beautiful experience. Interesting. Okay. But from what that same person said, you would be very, very surprised. And those are the words that he used. Very, very surprised at who attended some of these LSD fuck parties. It was all celebrities, which is why they get pulled into this shit, too. It's the same thing, because they all started kind of oh, I thought mixing. You were, I thought you were going to say hard-working, middle-class people to family. <laughs> you would be very surprised. Wow. You just like five-line workers and car jackets. But outside of the hallucinogenic sex parties, Gottlieb gave Abramson $85,000 in MK Ultra funding to perform LSD experiments that were supposed to surmise disturbance of memory, the eliciting of information, suggestibility, creation of dependence, and, of course, alteration of sex patterns. Oh, they're going to unlock so much magical information it's from all the mind of those actors. Yeah, it's eating asshole, <laughs> sucking dick. Well, among these experiments with adults, though, Abramson is also the only MK Ultra scientist known to experiment 
on children. Well, we know that he. So we have proof that he did. So it mm-hmm. probably happened. Yeah, more more than yes, this. probably. Yeah, I think so. Abramson gave prepubescent boys psilocybin and fed fourteen children between the ages of six and eleven that were all diagnosed with schizophrenia a oh. hundred micrograms of LSD every day for six weeks. I mean, oh, Dweezil Zappa was on the same diet, and look how successful he is now. I mm. guess so, but it's so man, that's but horrible. Diag- but also back. In, in the 1950s, diagnosed with schizophrenia doesn't mean schizophrenia no. because schizophrenia was the catch-all back then. No, so you, it's were just, like a it's little, just... you were like a little boy who kind of wanted to play with dolls and they were like, schizophrenic, we need to fucking blast his brain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are definitely, these are probably kids with emotional problems, but still, you're giving 100 micrograms of LSD to a child. But while many of the subjects of MKUltra experiments were drug addicts, prisoners, students, and mental patients, the scientists in charge also experimented quite a bit on themselves. Now, they'd already been dosing each other here and there during Artichoke, but during MKUltra, they took it to the next level. See, since there was a considerable difference between testing LSD in a laboratory and using it in the real world, Gottlieb and his colleagues began in-house experiments designed to find out what would happen if you gave LSD to a subject in a normal life setting without warning. Oh, my God. (laughs) I wonder what's going to happen. High paranoia. Yeah, that checks out. To prepare for these experiments, scientists would go into a room two at a time, drop acid together, and observe each other for hours, taking notes and analyzing their separate experiences. We should do this with the three of us. I don't know. What is it? Like, <laughs> Bette Miller and Lily Tomlin in, oh, that fantastic movie, Strip uh, My Jupiter uh, chubby girls wear plaid. No. Uh, two girls go to the execution chamber. No, not two girls. Prince um, of Beaches. No, you beaches. guys wouldn't even know the movie I'm thinking of because I, I think it's Beaches. No, not nine to five. <laughs> no, but it was a fantastic movie. They played twins. I remember. I don't remember. Oh, okay. no, I don't remember at all. But once everybody was comfortable with tripping on LSD, they agreed to have acid slipped into their drink at any time. Oh, it's like man. being on set for a jackass movie where everything's really <laughs> good, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and they good. never knew when their turn would come. But once the acid was ingested, they were eventually told that they'd been dosed and they were told they could also take the rest of the day off. Yeah, man, your day is over. <laughs> your, your working day oh, is now done. I guess it must be kind of nice too. Yeah. yeah. But when the limits of testing experienced psychonauts was reached, they started dosing agency personnel who had never tripped before to the point where surprise acid trips became an occupational hazard for CIA operatives. The tests actually went so far that a few members of the technical services staff actually planned to put acid in the punch served at the CIA Christmas party in 1954. They're still doing this God shit. I know they're still doing this hey, shit. Hey, honey, uh, I was drugged at work today and I I, uh, I loosened my tie just a little bit. <laughs> I, got, I got pretty crazy. We I, need to put you in the sanitarium. I know. I, I, That's so I, I You're unmoored. But when the Office of Security learned of the plan, they put the kibosh on the whole scheme. Don't put the acid in the punch bowl at the Christmas party. It's a bad idea. Wait to New Year's Eve. I guess so. Now, these surprise acid trips didn't always work out well. When one operative realized he'd been dosed, 
He fled out into the streets of Washington, D.C., hallucinating that every car had turned into a living monster with horrific eyes, <laughs> and all of them were out to get him. I uh, have you're going to want to escape from that. <laughs> I, I know exactly that feeling. I have left. I remember leaving the creek. I remember just walking the streets, just like getting, somehow I got home. I don't remember how I got to a bus station. I remember spending some time in, in a bush. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, for hours. Yeah, dude, this agent would hide behind parapets every time a car would drive by. <laughs> you fucking get me, man. <laughs> oh, man. It could be a great day, but I'm, I think he was probably not having fun. No. He said that it was fear. like living a, a horrific dream about someone chasing you that never stops. Mm. Yeah, so it was real bad. Just okay. be, you know. Yeah. Although I loved a trip in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. That place gives me high paranoid vibes, man. Oh, man. That city no, drives me crazy. Oh, love D.C. But without a doubt, the most well-known story of a surprise dosing involved Frank Olson, whose death nearly blew the lid off the whole MK Ultra project. Frank Olson played incredibly by Peter Skarsgård in the Wormwood series, the Errol Morris documentary series on Netflix is fantastic, but like this guy was not a good fit for no. the job that he was chosen for. He was not the type of person who was built for MK Ultra work. And, right. But he did also participate in biological research that some might consider evil. Yes. He was not. Yeah. Frank Olson was not a blameless citizen. No, he, but, but he I didn't feel like he's a sad sack who got pulled into these various things because before this, he was working in the agricultural sciences. And then he kind of got. Well, God. he got he got drafted. I mean, yeah. he definitely got drafted into like the whole World War II like scene. That everybody's got to do everything they can for the country. Don't ask questions about right. what we're asking you to do. Now, Frank's introduction into the world of covert operations began when Ira Baldwin called on him to assist in research into biological warfare at Edgewood Arsenal. And Olson was actually one of the first scientists assigned to Fort Detrick. Remember, that's the place where they sent the Nazis and such. Yes, mm. and Frank Olson, what's also interesting just about his story is that his is an encapsulation of the entire movement from part Project Artichoke to MK Ultra because he was featured in all of the original biological experiments they were doing for biowarfare and move through the all of the darkest chapter of intelligence spook history yeah. he was there for. Oh, he's an mm -hmm. MK Ultra centerfold. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean at Fort D he showed up at Fort Dietrich and oh my god, there's a fucking Nazi here. It's like, like there's I a you, I hope you like sausages. <laughs> <laughs> Actually I kind of do like sausages. Yeah, that's the thing. Bavarian pretzel is it's actually nice. good. Yeah. <laughs> By 1949, Frank Olson was acting chief of the Special Operations Division, the SOD, and he was tasked with collecting data on medico-biological aspects by the CIA. So, Frank traveled to Antigua for Operation Harness, which tested toxic clouds on animals. And guess what? It spilled over. Yeah. Some people got sick as well. What a what a coincidence. Yeah, mm -hmm. how the how'd the animals do? <laughs> they didn't do well, huh? He participated in Operation Sea Spray in San Francisco, mm -hmm. which we talked about last episode. One fatality there. And on Plum Island, just off the coast of Long Island, he tested toxins deemed too deadly to be brought to the U.S. mainland. So you're going to want to give it a good 10-mile radius. <laughs> yeah, you're going to take that to Plum Island there, right near right near Long Island. Yeah. Well, you don't want these there. guys to have too long of a commute, you know? Yeah, they want to be, yeah, 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 gotta right, be right. home. They charge yeah. by the hour. No, I love the idea <laughs> of a bunch of... And they, and they, oh, you're gas. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of a bunch of drugged-up mafioso dudes. That is a great idea. Oh, it's yeah. It's a great idea. 
Weapons-wise, Olsen developed handheld anthrax aerosols disguised as cans of shaving cream, asthma spray that induced pneumonia, and a lipstick that would kill on contact. But by 1953, Olsen had to step down as acting chief of the SOD because the pressures of the job were giving him massive ulcers. Yeah. But he still stayed with the SOD. And the SOD was by then working closely with the CIA on MKUltra. Working out of Fort Detrick, Olson mostly conducted experiments involving poisoning animals. According to his son, Olson would come to work in the morning and see just piles of dead monkeys. And Frank Olson was not the right guy for that kind of job. Because everybody's high-fiving no. each other, right? Because it means work. it works. Great work. I mean, it worked. Meanwhile, like, he is, you know, Frank Olson was a bit of a, he's a sad sack. Right, he's a bit of an Eeyore already. I think already. that would be, it would make me sad. No, yes, but he was already not fit for any of this stuff, and he no. kept kind of being dragged along oh, with these various things, because, you know, love of country, yeah. uh, feeling of duty, like he's supposed to do these things, he has the skill set to do it, he's already killed people, so he might as well just kill <laughs> these monkeys as well. Uh, yeah. I don't think Eeyore would do anything like that. Uh, you, no. you get Eeyore involved in the bioweapons <laughs> industry. Could have used some acid, probably. I bet you Eeyore would be like, yeah. Let's drop the bomb. Like he's ready to go. <laughs> he's suicidal himself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You put someone like that in charge of a bunch of shit, and we're all living in a fucking crater. We're you in don't his put- world now. <laughs> we're in Eeyore's world. But maybe that's exactly what he wanted, and he would handle it all really well. Maybe he just wanted a little bit of fucking respect. Oh, so yeah. we now have an Eeyore defender? I say we give it to <laughs> Tigger. Where's Tigger in this? <laughs> well, he's having fun. He's already successful. Yeah, he's playing basketball. Now, Frank Olsen just didn't, he didn't have the temperament for this sort of work, but he was also there while all of this work was going on, and he watched all of it happen. He didn't torture humans directly, but since he was a part of this program going all the way back to the OSS days, he observed and monitored quite a bit of torture. He was at Villa Schuster in Germany. He Jeez. saw the shit. He watched it. He wrote reports. I will say he didn't like it. No. <laughs> well, he didn't no, do anything I, about he it. Didn't. He didn't like it. Uh, no. I, yeah. No. I know. Like maybe his hands were tied, I guess. I don't know. Now, Frank Olson wasn't feeling great about his work with the CIA. And it was amidst this uncertainty that Frank was invited to an SOD group retreat at a cabin at Deep Creek Lake near Frederick, Maryland. And I feel like this wasn't done. This was done kind of on purpose. They were brought out there as they would do these fun little trips. And like they found his son found a document that said like because it was a hunting trip. Right. That was mm-hmm. the idea is that they go out to this hunting lodge and they will fucking hang out and they're going to talk, maybe talk some business. But it was kind of like a, a mixer. But I think they brought guys out there, too, to kind of see, like, you know, what's your loyalty like? What's yeah. your thing? Like, How much are you willing like surviving to survive in the game? Yes, very much so. Typically, these retreats held every few months by Sidney Gottlieb were made up of the four CIA scientists who ran MK Ultra and five army scientists from the S.O.D., and one of those scientists was Frank Olson. But on this occasion, on the first night, Gottlieb announced after dinner that he dosed all of them with LSD. Yay! <laughs> it's not good because the, you're with these guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the rest, of, they just kind of took it in stride. They laughed it off. But Olson became very upset. Uh-oh. He was very confused and very agitated because he'd never dropped acid nor had he ever wanted to. And oh. you're dropping acid with the four dudes in charge of MK Ultra. Well, not, have fun with it. It's not, these are not the trip sitters. 
You want or, or because, I don't know. Because the whole thing is that he kept saying they laughed at me. They yeah, laughed but of course at they were me. laughing at him. They're CIA. But you know, sometimes all it takes is one. Like, a, you know, that's the Ben Fold story. Guy up in the tree. <laughs> I, don't know that one. I don't know. I don't know that one. But well, The next day, Olsen returned home and refused to speak to his wife about what had happened on the retreat, saying only, quote, I've made a terrible mistake. Oh, man, she probably thinks he did something a lot worse than he actually did. Well, you know, with like, both, you know, because her first question is, did you break security protocol? And he's like, of course not. I'd never do that. But I've made a terrible mistake. Yeah. And there are many theories proposed over the years as to what Frank Olson's terrible mistake statement actually meant. He could have pooped his pants. Yeah, I mean, it's acid, dude. <laughs> yeah, I don't but know. still. But everyone huh? else is on acid. I mean, I think people... You forget don't. that perspective. I mean, the most popular theory is that in the midst of the trip, Olsen lost his cool and threatened to expose MK Ultra along with all the other shady shit that he'd done in the government's name over the years. But he's such mm. a, not to be anything, he's such a company man and he was not a, he was not a dynamic personality. No. So I don't know if it went that far, but I like what his son said. His son, his point makes more sense. Yeah. According to Frank Olson's son, his father probably just finally realized the sort of people he'd actually been working for this whole time. Because as all three of us right. know, hallucinogens have a way of putting shit in a perspective. Oh, yeah. Because now, because this is the danger of acid within these groups, right? Because we've said this. Most of them, like, had no reaction. They were like, all right, whatever. I'm, I'm seeing things. But every once in a while, they had the enlightened agent that would get they would get what ass is supposed to do and it opens your perspective and then right. all of a sudden they're not as good at their job anymore i gotta get out of here i'm gonna go join the circus true well it's all the shit over the years that he has known is wrong but he's kind of pushed to the back of his head by saying by, by using patriotism or We're using service for his kind fighting the communists and now he's taken acid and he finally sees oh my god what have i done right now, after Olson returned to work, he was obviously disoriented and kind of pissed. He openly considered resignation, which was really bad news for both the SOD and the CIA. I think you mean it was bad news for Frank Olson. <laughs> yeah. Because if you were a part of the literal war crimes system of the United States Armed Forces, and then you say, I'm going to quit, um, it's not. Like, chill for them, because yeah. you're supposed to harbor the secrets, the the most closely held, darkest secrets within our military-like arm. And now, oh, you want to be free agent now? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. We'll let you go. See, Olsen had spent 10 years at Fort Detrick and therefore knew almost everything about the SOD and MK Ultra. He knew shit that was bad enough to cause international incidents if they ever got out. For one, Frank had been in France with several other SOD scientists in 1951 when an entire French village had been mysteriously seized by mass hysteria and violent delirium. Mm. Dude, look this up. Look this up. It's called the 1951 Pont Saint-Esprit. P-O-N-T, St. Esprit, mass poisoning. It's a wild story. And there's an hour-long documentary on it about these people that might have been a part of an MKUltra experiment, but they didn't know. Wow. Yeah. Seven people died. The official cause Dang. was ergot poisoning, but it's very likely that this was an MK Ultra or maybe even a Project Artichoke experiment. This episode's so thick. This yeah. is so conspiracy <laughs> thick. Additionally, Frank Olson knew the truth about the use of biological weapons during the Korean War which, again, has circumstantial evidence but no proof. Frank Olson 
might have given us real evidence. Furthermore, Olsen had also watched a 20-year-old soldier in London volunteer for sarin testing, then very quickly foam at the mouth, collapse, and die. In other words, Frank Olsen knew about a lot of dirty deeds, which is very dangerous knowledge to have when you're spinning out of control in a fit of sudden conscience. Right. Now, it seems like the CIA gave Olsen a chance to snap out of it, but five days after his trip, it was obvious to the CIA that Frank Olson was permanently and massively fucked up. He's yeah. out of pocket. Dude, uh, the thing is, he still seems pretty upset. Yeah. He's uh, like all upset about us dosing him or yeah, whatever. So he's but, like, I thought he'd be over it. But like, it was like five whatever. days ago, bro. I gave him like 72 hours yeah. to be chill. Yeah, whatever, Frank. Get over it, dude. Eventually, word got to Sidney Gottlieb, and after a few minutes of chatting with Olson, Gottlieb decided to deliver Frank to MK Ultra scientist Harold Abramson in New York City. Remember, uh -huh. Abramson's the guy with the Long Island fuckhouse. Once Olson arrived, he told Abramson that since he'd been dosed, he couldn't sleep, couldn't focus, and he couldn't work. So, after a six-hour conversation, Abramson gave Olson a bourbon and barbiturate cocktail. Here, take this. It's going to make you sleep for like uh, 19 hours. You're going to love it. It's going to be... <laughs> okay. Am I being nope. drugged again? Nope. No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. It's just, huh? it's just barbiturates. Uh, uh, <laughs> wait, what? I'll just drink it? Okay. <laughs> then, Abramson woke him up the next morning so they could go see John Mulholland, the CIA's magician. Hey, wake up. We got to go see a magician. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know you're oh. reeling from like whatever, all this kind of shit. You don't know what's real or not. Well, we got to go see a guy who does tricks for a living. Oh. Right? <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for this, but all right. Oh, yeah, I'm not really in it. I don't want to play any choose your card games or anything. Okay. I don't want a balloon animal. He's going to do it. He's going to perform for us, buddy. Well, in one account of this meeting, Mulholland tried hypnotizing Olsen in an attempt to probe his mind, see if he could find what was wrong. But in another account, which I think is actually the more likely account, Olsen freaked out on Mulholland because he thought the magician was going to make him disappear like a rabbit. Also, oh, saying, no. hey, so this is this guy. This is this super fucking cryptic MK Ultra psychiatrist that you're working with. He says, we're going to go see a magician. Right. A magician, <laughs> which in my mind, that's code for assassin, right? That's yeah. code for Could like, be, yeah. that's the thing in the mafia movies when you're going to be like, hey, we're going yeah. to go take a drive. We're going to take a drive out to the beach. And you're like, oh, fuck. And then it's you and two guys wearing ponchos in the back of it. And you're like, why are you wearing ponchos? Splashback. <laughs> oh, we're going to a, uh, like a theme park or something? Yeah. I mean, it could be yeah. worse. You could actually go to the beach with a bunch of mobsters. Oh, yeah. Hang out all day. Hang out all day. Once the magician got to be too much, Olsen jumped from his chair and ran out of the house, while one of his two handlers, Vincent Ruitt, followed behind. Once Ruitt caught Olsen, he and Olsen's other handler, Robert Lashbrook, took him to see, and this is a fun day, a magician and a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical on Broadway called Me and Juliet. We this need is, to have a fun day. This <laughs> is a fun day so far. I mean, yeah, wow. I, guess, I guess I could go see a play or whatever. I mean... Plays are boring. I don't want to go. <laughs> Buddy, you are being a buzzkill, and we've drugged you so much. I know. I should like all this. You really should. It's a Broadway musical. It's Rodgers and Hammerstein. Come, come on. on. Come, come on. on. Have fun with it. Now, Frank did make it all the way to intermission. 
But once they were out in the lobby, Olsen's paranoia kicked in, and he became convinced that he was going to be arrested by somebody at any moment. You're next to two members of the CIA, right? You know that something's going on. You're being bodily handled by two men all day long, then then force you to go see a musical. And there's no, <laughs> well, that's mean, not where I want to go. That's not where I want to be. As wor- it's not as bad as it could be. Because you know you're just loitering for something. Like, you're mm-hmm. just waiting for there's something that's supposed to happen. They got to paper the room for the freaking theater, dude. You <laughs> need to go in there and support the arts. Well, it's hard to say exactly what is happening and exactly what they're trying to do or exactly what they're trying to figure out. Because that night they went back to the hotel uh, and Olsen was sent to a room by himself. They didn't keep an eye on him. They didn't stay in the room with him. In fact, the next morning when they went downstairs, they found Olsen in the lobby. Olsen had wandered New York City all night long. He'd even thrown away his wallet and his identification in the process. You know what I truly think it is? It's there. It's been their philosophy. It all tracks. It's been their philosophy all along. It's them being like, let's just see what happens. Because yeah. again, Frank Olsen has been a good company man for a very long time. And the, he's really close. And Frank Olsen, even though he's not acting like it, he has his own ships because he has all this fucking information. So they are watching him guardedly and trying to decide maybe he'll pop out of it. That's what I really think that they're kind of doing, waiting to kind of see maybe he'll come around. Like, we'll we'll be in this. We're in this like safe place for the CIA. We got places everywhere we could take him. And then maybe we'll just kind of see what he does and then figure out how we'll react depending Mm -hmm. on what he does. Could be. They might just love the chaos of it all. They do. Now, since this all happened close to Thanksgiving, Olson returned to his family in Maryland. But after Ruit and Lashbrook reported Olson's state of mind to Sidney Gottlieb, Gottlieb ordered them to bring him back to New York City. On the way, they stopped off in Long Island and picked up Harold Abramson. Then all four drove to Manhattan, where Abramson convinced Olson to voluntarily commit himself to a mental hospital. Oh, great. Olson agreed, and from what Agent Lashbrook said, Frank was actually looking forward to the break, commenting that he was excited to catch up on his reading. I can't wait to be forced into rehab at some point. Yeah, a lot of rehab. Oh, my God. One day, once quote-unquote exhaustion catches up to me, holy shit, I can't wait. Oh, Oh, Passages of Malibu seems nice. That's where I want to go. It's expensive. I barely get great drugs there. It's really, I'm sure, yeah, it's really expensive, though. Frank Olson, however would never make it to that hospital. That's what his Uh-oh. son said. His son said, like, Dad died? No, he disappeared. He went to New York, and he just never came back. Oh, yeah, no way that means he's dead. At 2.25 a.m. that night, Frank Olson crashed through his hotel window at the Statler 10 stories up. Whoa. And he died in a pool of blood on the 7th Avenue sidewalk. Reportedly, he tried saying something to the hotel's doorman right before he expired, but couldn't get out the words. Oh, I know what it was. Mm. So the, my room's on the first floor, right? Now, when police went up to Frank's room, they found one of his handlers, Robert Lashbrook, sitting on the toilet. Because the two of them have been sharing the space. That's the funny yeah. thing. Robert Lashbrook and Frank Olson have been staying in the same room. He oh, did yeah. a horrible job as a handler. Um, I um, feel like, um, or he did exactly what his job as a handler, much like the baggage handlers that I've seen <laughs> in various airports. And Are the you going to take treat... this time? You're going to take this time to bitch about airport security. <laughs> I am just saying, wow. the way they treat our bags might be the way. 
fate treated a certain Frank Olson. Do you want to talk about how men and women drive a little different? I am just saying they don't necessarily view our luggage as it's their luggage. And that is a shoehorn from Henry Yeah, What's the deal with air traffic, guys? See? I'm now doing you. I'm you. No, it's it pretty funny. Well, interestingly, Lashbrook said that he hadn't heard Olsen flinging himself through the window. Definitely not, man. Oh, my God. Definitely what is this, not. Ace Ventura? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but when police questioned the switchboard operator at the hotel, they got a different story. The operator said that she'd connected Lashbrook to MK Ultra scientist Harold Abramson after Olsen went out the window. Lashbrook said, well, he's gone. And to that, Abramson said, well, that's too bad. Ooh, we didn't really, it didn't seem genuine, though. Wow. <laughs> we need a sarcasm thought. Wow. Well, that's too bad. Wow. Now, the police figured for some reason that this was a homosexual affair gone wrong. Why is it always this? <laughs> they were in separate beds, They're man. just lazy. They're it just makes you, lazy. I don't know. Was the 50s, was it? Was every fucking man-on-man -man violence, every man-on-man -man murder, was it a homosexual affair gone wrong? Because that seems like every fifth murder, that's what the cops say. I, I don't, don't know. think that's the case. I don't know. But when Lashbrook was taken to the police station and questioned, he said that he and Olsen worked for the Defense Department, and that Olsen had become mentally unstable. According to Lashbrook, Olsen had jumped, and that was all. Because you know Ugh. what? Suicidal guys, they always take a running jump through a closed <laughs> yeah. window. Well, well, a difficult way to do it. Oh, yeah. always. Just to show you how fucking... I'm <laughs> to this. They are like I super metal. They want it to be metal always. They don't yeah. ever open the window and, and, you know, tumble out. No, no. I like to do it the most painful possible way. But since these men worked in defense, Lashbrook said, the whole matter had to be kept quiet for national and security reasons. All yes. right, so... uh so, but, so you're yeah. not gay? <laughs> <laughs> so you guys ain't kissing, huh? But you guys ruined the hey, same how about room. This? Oh, listen, listen. You kiss me, show me you're not gay. Yeah, kiss my partner, <laughs> make sure he's not gay. Now, let me watch, okay? Now, you guys all tumble around on the ground a little bit. Let me see if you got hard. <laughs> Yeah, turns out I'm gay. I'm gay. Arrest me. Put the handcuffs on me. Huh? Congratulations. Whoa. Whoa, yeah. Oh, everyone's gay. <laughs> uh, this is great. 1953. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful time. And once Lashbrook's status as a government employee was confirmed, he was set free. And a CIA fix-it man made sure everyone at the crime scene kept their mouths shut as well. Now, no one will ever know what really happened with Frank Olson that night. But it's thought that Sidney Gottlieb had decided that Frank Olson was so ill that he threatened the security of MK Ultra. Wow. And it might have been, you know what? Frank Olson might have just said one thing yeah. that night. I'm going to talk. All he has to say is, I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell Not everybody. even that. He might have just fucking joked. It's like, man, you guys are sending me in the mental institution. You're really trusting me with all these secrets. What if I fucking tell somebody about this? Man, can oh, I yeah. talk? If he can I talk to my surmising what he could do. Yeah, they yeah. also may have just inferred in his actions. Maybe he yeah. didn't say anything. And they're just like, oh, don't, don't think we can trust him. Or he's going, you know, he's going to a mental hospital and they're thinking... What's he going to tell that psychiatrist? Exactly. You know? Especially if we... Well, to be also, honest, they would just fair. put him in... They would just put him in an MK Ultra hospital. He was yeah. not going out of but ever. He was going to go out of the network. He wasn't going out of network for this. <laughs> they would also rely on everyone just not believing him. 
Yeah. True. Right? Absolutely. Maybe sometimes, but that's kind of that. That's where they shifted to, which is the idea of like that's where all the satanic ritual abuse stuff kind of gets hidden and and stuck into this and all that kind of shit. Where like you make it so outlandish, no one believe you. This I just think they were already killing people. They were already killing guys. What's another one? They're just throwing them out the window. And since MK Ultra was seen as one of the most important projects in the CIA. Gottlieb had no qualms ordering Olson's death, or so the story goes. But what's interesting here is that even if Frank Olson did just kill himself, it still happened as a result of Sidney Gottlieb dosing him. It had been wow. the direct result of an MK Ultra experiment, yet nobody really cared. As far as Alan Dulles was concerned, Gottlieb had exercised nothing more than quote unquote poor judgment. Yeah, I over mean, here at the CIA, we call that true. a whoopsie doopsie. Yeah, that's a whoopsie doopsie indeed. That's a double whoopsie doopsie, I think. Therefore, he was given a light reprimand. But since MK Ultra was considered so vital, One that's slap a, slap, on, no. a slap on the wrist. Got For those, No. Get away from the honey mustard. I'm going no <laughs> to spray you with the spray bottle. That's right. No honey mustard at lunch, Gottlieb. But since MK Ultra was considered so vital... Sidney Gottlieb was given permission to take MK Ultra even wider and even weirder. And that's where we'll pick back up for part Woo. four with Operation Midnight Climax and Psychic Driving. All it right, truly season. does only get worse from getting, here. Getting into worse. season nine when they uh, adopt a duck. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, yeah, uh, we are getting, we're just getting wilder and woolier here next ooh, episode because ooh. we're really going to start getting into what y'all know about MKUltra, what comes up all the time in pop culture. This is now, we're actually really starting to just hit that part. And then mm -hmm. we'll wrap Oof. it all up with an episode five talking about where it left America and all the rest of us now which is a shattered group of people it's very it's really fucked up well i can't it's a, wait it's a rough story it is a fascinating story a true story and a story that i'm so happy we are covering thank you all so much for supporting the show i hope you guys are enjoying this series thus far uh we have some big news regarding our serious show we're going to start that the 21st 21st so that'll be 5 p.m pst and 8 p.m est so call in we'll have a number and stuff we'll put it on our social media yes we can't wait to talk with you guys and uh the comic book is out there soul plumber Check coming out soon out. episode five supply lines issue Sub five issue five. i forget calling it so i keep doing that um we just finished writing and we can't wait to do more but hopefully we get to do more comic books we love it so much it's been so yeah. much fucking fun so cool absolutely we got z2 go check it out last comic book on the left you can pre-order that uh then we got our coffee have some spring hill yeah. jack mop and blend i'm still drinking and i absolutely it's only gotten better the dude's just fucking, he's a, mm -hmm. he's a wizard, Ray. Absolutely. Yep. We'll keep you up to date on what's going on with our THC. And uh, hopefully we'll get some flour at some point for you. And yeah. just keep on supporting all the shows here. Uh, how's No Dogs doing? Is No Dogs coming back? This No uh, Dogs is absolutely coming back. We just recorded the first part of our new series yesterday. Yeah. It's oh, going to be coming out soon. We're going to bank a couple before we release it. But uh, right. if, I can, if I can give you a little bit of a hint, Tommy is about to get his tonsils taken. Out. Oh, I don't know what that is. You just activated it with my tail Isn't that Tommy amazing? is getting his tonsils, tonsils. taken they out. They are covering um, Steve Winwood. Oh, oh, God. If Winwood. Um, and then Someplace Underneath is also coming back for season two very Man. soon. They just recorded their first episode of season two, and that will start coming out soon very well. So, as well. And Fraudsters. Um, and Fraudsters is now cooking again. We're back up. We're yeah. all those. I'm just so, honestly, it's been so nice. It's like getting, getting back into the groove. We got 
side stories. We're going to start video episodes on our Patreon. You're going to see yeah, some of that. Can't wait shit. for that. And of course, we, we got, got this uh, motherfucking outlaw. We got Top End. We got Brighter Side Whisper. You know where to check out all the shows. Thank you so much for supporting our network and our family. And mm. uh, you all are wonderful. Yep. And don't forget, hail yourself. Hail Satan. Hail Geen. Hail me. Don't take a vial from anybody from the government. No. No, oh. unless you are willing and ready to trip fucking balls if and only, perhaps do it assassinate anymore. Putin. And we can do it anymore. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.